0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at
2: DrMattShow.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
2: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with uh, Jeffrey and, of course, Terry South. The gang's gathered. We're all here Man, oh man, is the news getting hot in Washington D.C. when it comes to this uh this guy running for Senate. You may you may have heard about this story. This guy may win it, too. He he some, may Roy Moore say. is his name and he may he may win it. I apparently he was leading in the polls. So but boy, more uh people are coming out um saying that they've been harassed or abused by him as uh, as as
4: really teenagers, really. Is there some sort of a magic number? Do you feel like, okay, if this many people come out and say something, it's got to be true?
3: Well, you know, you don't know. But but what you know is something ain't right. <laughs> something ain't right. Even Mitch McConnell now, the leader of the Senate, is saying, yeah, he believes the women. And you got to believe the women, right? I mean, why would they come out with this stuff? But then all of his constituents are saying, hold it. They, he's been in elected office for years and I think forty years, and he—he he, nobody's come out. Nobody said anything. Matt, it, it's obviously a left-wing,
2: that's Washington Post yeah.
3: media lapdog
5: uh, conspiracy that they're oh. pushing. Even though, like the woman that came out yesterday, voted for Trump and has been a lifelong right. Republican,
4: but it's a conspiracy. I want to ask you a very interesting question. Okay. What if it's not interesting, just by the way? If if you preface with the interesting. No, it is very interesting. (laughs) You've heard of gold diggers, right? Yes, yes. So let's say a woman or a man will marry, let's just say, an older person to maybe get at some of their money that they have. No, it's for love. Okay. Um, I'm just saying if there's a term gold digger, it's possible that there's that term for a reason. So if there are people willing to do that... Don't yeah. you think there are people that are willing to make up a story in order to well, have a cash grab? Yeah,
3: but they couldn't have gotten Roy Moore to sign their yearbook. Yeah, when they true. were 16. Now, I'm not saying that these n- people, that, I'm not saying that each
4: and every one of these stories is false, right. but I'm saying maybe there's one mixed no, in there when somebody th- realizes it could be, be a cash grab. There's going
3: to be one somewhere that's uh, that's false, right? But again, like this the woman's breakdown, her crying. Can you imagine being a 16 year old girl and having a powerful older DA, you know, scaring you? That's scary and creepy. And then, I mean, ah, oh, it's but again, with the hashtag MeToo well, stories, we have more and more stories coming out, not just about politicians, but about a lot of powerful men and women I guess and the, so
5: the other side I kind of get the impression that this was kind of a smaller town sort of area where 16 year old would know who the district attorney was yeah you know, I mean, mm. that seems like a, a not a, not a thing most sixteen year olds will be able to point someone out in a crowd and go, "That's the district attorney." You know, it's not but, and no
4: sixteen year old, right? And, and here the sixteen
5: year old's like, "Well, he's the district attorney. What am I supposed to do?" So right, she, he has this, this this sort of power and influence. He looked at her in and in, in the her com her uh, statement. He said. I'm the district attorney. You're a child. No one's going to believe
4: you. Don't say right. anything. Oh, so that yeah. that was the yeah. phrase she
5: used. So I would like, wow.
4: I would be surprised if a 16 year old even knew what a district attorney was or what they did. Right.
3: Well, yeah. Except they might just know he's powerful. Hmm. And it's also weird. It's not just politics, but it's also like a DA has like police power, right? So it feels like you could really get in trouble. And then in, imagine in small town politics. It's even probably more warped hmm. because people talk, people know stuff. So you don't, you don't know exactly what to believe. Mitch McConnell now is saying he believes the women and so that – so it's time to like – But Mitch, Roy Mitch McConnell
5: so. supported the other guy in the primary,
3: not this guy. This guy is yeah. Steve Bannon's guy. Yeah, right. So, But the, the dilemma is there's an election in 28 days. It's on the 12th of December. And I think it's the 12th or is it the 15th. If, it's right that week. If he's elected— Star Wars there, comes there, up that week, too. Sorry. Go on. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. Well, so, so just Other know details. <laughs> Everything won't be lost in that moment. Yeah. Um, but if he is elected—well, there's first, there's a chance a Democrat could take it now. Yep. Uh, because the Republican candidate could collapse, who's on the ballot. But So Roy Moore's name's on the ballot. He can't. It's too late to take him off, yeah. So now they're saying, okay, let's get together a write-in campaign. Mm-hmm. And that may not be strong enough. That actually may divide the vote and a Democrat may win. Right. Or do you just like, you know, get Roy Moore elected and then let the Senate take care of him? How many times does a a senator coming in, running for Senate already start beating down the the Senate leader before they even Mm. enter the Senate?
5: And the likelihood of that happening is very rare. No senator has been expelled since the Civil War.
3: Well, and mm-hmm. at that point,
5: fifteen out of or oh, fourteen out of fifteen expulsions having to do with supporting the Confederacy.
3: Yeah, that was the last time. By the this way, why really, are you bringing up the Civil War in this now? Now you're really going to muddy the that's water. That's the history of this. Is trying
5: to get this done, so it's you could refuse to let him let the guy take his let uh, Roy Moore take the seat. McConnell, the Republican majority, can simply refuse more in his seat in the Senate under Article 1 Section 5 of the Constitution. Well, oh th-
4: yeah,
3: that one. But well,
5: that's been challenged in court, so who knows. This- well,
3: that a lot of people are going, yeah, but then th- th- is this is this the person that people from Alabama want? That, so, that's why that's, that's why it's issue. challenged in
5: court is right. because now you're you're the the government is telling the people
3: what they should do. Boy, and then you know? then you get Saturday Night Live involved in this and then they oh, yeah. start <laughs> making fun of everybody in Alabama. Yeah. And maybe Jeff Sessions will come back. Maybe Jeff, maybe Jeff will uh, quit the DOJ and then he'll come back and take his seat back. But ah, Problem solved. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Unless uh, Jeff Sessions, of course, now he, by the way, as um, the head of the Department of Justice, he's now being pushed to start a new inquiry into Hillary Clinton's or the campaign. What's it called? The Clinton Foundation. Right. And Amongst other things. And they're... Uh, Nuclear deal with the Russians. This is a tangled web. Meanwhile, President Trump's still traveling. Let's get to the headlines of Terry South. Terry, what else should we be knowing today?
5: Roy Moore, the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate in Alabama, was banned from a mall in the early 1980s after he repeatedly attempted to pick up teenage girls. Former mall employees have told, told local police and The New Yorker. Loitering more for loitering, so he's hmm. hanging out in the malls. He's following people well, around. How old was he when was he's he? in his thirties. Oh, you know, like what normal thirty-year-old. Well, so he was do. probably mall walking. Other locals told uh, the Birmingham Times, I believe the paper down there, that Moore was known for prowling the mall. They use the word prowling, prowling. in the article. Prowl. More of more <laughs> whom five women have accused of making advances on them oh, boy. Uh, or inappropriate touching. If you watch the woman's press conference, yesterday, no, it's, totally. it's, it's hard sad. to watch.
4: By the way, you made that growl. What is the male equivalent of what is known as a cougar? Hmm. Any ideas? Just a, a mooger.
3: Yeah, it feels right
5: okay <laughs> apparently he had a reputation or roy moore had a reputation for hanging around the gladstone mall in gladstone alabama in pursuit of high school age girls blake ursi who was a teenager in town at the time told the birmingham news Moore was more he was known to flirt with all the young girls and would hang out at the mall on weekends like all the kids did uh so that's in the local reporting there's apparently some uh Bad feeling amongst the reporters at the, the Birmingham Times because uh, this is something that has been known for quite a while. But these stories have been around, but of course, the Washington Post sweeps in and gets the scoop and on gets them. Gets all the credit. So now they're scrambling, trying to get the. I mean, get the stories. The thing, they, can they have, have more
3: data. They probably have a lot of stories. More data on more. More, more on more.
5: <laughs> Donald Trump Jr. corresponded with WikiLeaks, which the American intelligence community believes disseminated information hacked by the Russian government through Twitter's direct messaging during the 2016 campaign, the side of the Atlantic. The messages were given to Congress as part of its probe into the Russian meddling in the 2016 election. WikiLeaks made several requests of Trump Jr., including asking for uh, Trump's tax returns, telling the campaign to reject election results if they should lose, and uh, saying that they were rigged, asking the president-elect Trump's request that uh, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange be appointed Australia's ambassador to the United States. That was all Uh, part of the WikiLeaks communications with Trump Jr.
3: Hold on, really? Yeah.
5: Really? Yeah, this is all in the the Atlantic, and it's all part of the... Congress knows this, because it's part of the investigation.
3: They were, like, talking about an ambassadorship for Julian Assange? Assange? Yeah. What? <laughs>
5: That's... I know. Trump Jr. frequently ignored the messages, but occasionally responded as if he had acted on the request, usually involving the promotion of a WikiLeaks story about Hillary Clinton or a Democratic Party. At one point, WikiLeaks is like, hey, we just published this. And Trump Jr.'s like, yeah, I just retweeted it. Oh, wow. That's kind of stuff. Mm. Well, I'm, and he
3: kept, you know, he kept, like, egging on WikiLeaks to do stuff publicly. President Trump did, Yeah, we didn't know Donald Jr. was behind the scenes. And it
5: wasn't like they're, like... Every single message was no. responded to, but he responded to enough that Congress is looking at it as part of... I mean, the, all the, uh, the transcripts of the direct messages are out there in the media, so you can read wow. them. They're interesting. Uh, you just don't play with WikiLeaks. No. October, they're, they're the kid on the block you don't play with. October 14th, 2016, on uh, Fox & Friends candidate Mike Pence at the time, oh, yeah. uh, said the Trump campaign had no contact with WikiLeaks, even though all this was going on. Yeah, he didn't say the
3: Trump family... That's totally different. Junior
5: was out campaigning. He was part of the campaign. But
3: he was really more of a son. Really? Just a son? Really, than a campaigner. Uh, As you you talked
5: about Attorney General Jeff Sessions considering appointing a special counsel to investigate the range of Republican issues, the Washington Post reports among those concerns are... Hillary Clinton's use of private email server, Russia's purchase of Uranium One, a Canadian mining company with U.S. operations. Uh, President Donald Trump 11 days ago tweeted about the issues and, and called on Sessions to investigate. Politicians and pundits have previously speculated that Republicans might attempt to appoint a, a second special counsel to investigate the Uranium One sale in an effort to discredit current special counselor. Uh, Special counsel Robert Mueller, who is investigating allegations of Russian meddling in the 2016 election. Mueller was FBI director at the time of the Uranium One sale and did not take action on the sale leading Republicans to accuse Mueller of Russian collusion. Because everyone's colluding. Well, well, who hasn't colluded? Appointing a second special counsel to investigate the first special counsel could potentially make Mueller's investigation of the Trump campaign appear biased. Some believe that Sessions may think that if he appoints a second special counsel to investigate Clinton and and also other Democrat involvement in other things, yeah, it yeah. would keep
3: Trump from firing him. Well, why don't why don't they just have Mueller yeah. also investigate that? Because that's the same thing. He was isn't the it? FBI director. He was compromised. Well, but. Now he it,
5: and can it would make it. much more sense to have a special counsel investigating the current special counsel, so that you had two going at the same time. It's, it's just going to be well, confusing. Two is better than one. Well,
3: <laughs> not when one's investigating the other. It just seems interesting that. Um, but then you'll have dueling councils. Yeah. And by by the way, it would also distract and shine the light not on Mueller all the time. Possibly. Oh, my favorite song. Dueling the Dueling Councils. Councils. The Dueling mm-hmm. Councils.
5: And finally, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos demanded Game of Thrones and his studio delivered. Who really?
4: On Monday, Deadline oh, wait, Hold on, let me get Dueling Banjos back on. You okay. said deliverance. Yes,
5: deliverance. On Monday, Deadline reported that Amazon has acquired multi-season TV rights to the Lord of the Rings series. Oh, <gasps> Netflix and wow. HBO were also approached by representatives from the Tolkien Estate. Ooh. deadline reports with Amazon allegedly sealing the deal for between 200 and 250 million dollars. That's Jeez. not bad.: The reports are saying it's closer to 250 million, but hold on, that's just for the rights. That's before any cost for development, talent, production, Ooh. anything. This is just
3: for the rights, right? So forever. I don't know what the the length of it is. Because I could see this being a, I don't know, a 50 year
5: series. So it says in its payment that has to be made sight unseen as there is no concept, there are no creative support attached to the possible series. On top of that, the budget for a fantasy series of that magnitude is likely to be between 100 and 150 million a
4: season. Oh, (laughs) cow. Are they going to get Elijah Wood and Ian McKellen and say, know, I, Sean Astin for that price? You better get somebody. Plus, the,
3: I mean, that little gollum. Oh yeah. Because last time I saw him in a movie, he looked very weak. Mm. I saw him in uh, War for the Planet of the Apes
4: recently. Really?
3: Well, Andy Serkis, the guy that plays the character. Oh, you're talking about the actor? No, yeah. I'm talking about the real dude. Yeah. Well, did you, you do know, know that, that he
4: he burns right? No, like I didn't some see lava. that one. Mm-mm he doesn't make it. It
3: Was that him screaming right there?
4: Yeah, as he was going in the lava.
3: He didn't make it? No. Spoiler alert. You've (laughs) seen him. Come on. Yeah, but again, I don't remember these things. I don't. I've got other stuff going on.
4: Can I bring up another very interesting question?
3: No. Do you have an interesting thing to say? Who you me? Yeah, because he wants to bring up an interesting question. I think I shared I sh- a
5: lot of several interesting. i just wondering things if there. you have anything more. We have interesting. dueling councils. We have a guy that could be a senator that can't go to a local mall. Yeah. Okay.
4: That's weird. Interesting stuff. Okay, so back I, I, <laughs> I asked you the question. If there's some sort of a magic number when it comes to the number of people coming forward accusing somebody of some yeah. crime, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, when is it too early to put up Christmas decorations? Well, we already put up
3: our lights. You did? Yeah. It's, wow. But we haven't turned them on.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. There's, okay. There's some taste Actually, involved, yeah.
3: We we have one on our doorstep that we can't not use. So we just started
4: getting all of our Christmas decorations out yesterday. We yeah. put up our tree. Oh, boy. We, See, now that's too early. Trees, that's too te- far. That's way
3: too early. You haven't even like, had your bird yet.
4: We you can't even, put the
3: tree up till after Thanksgiving. After we even bird. read The Grinch
4: to our daughters, oh. how The Grinch Stole Christmas. Yeah.
3: You, what you're doing, and you may not know this just because you're a young father, that um, you're, you're, you're pre-shooting. You're looking beyond the mark. And you're going to you're going to shoot everything you got and then you're going to be out of ammo when the big day comes. Right? You think so? Yeah. It's like See, you're, de- you're you're on the deer hunt <laughs> and you're going to go through all your ammo.
4: Okay, but now deer listen. Season. You're
5: just shooting at rocks and stuff we're, at this point.
4: We're going to be gone the whole week of Thanksgiving. So really, it's as if we pulled all this out next week
3: cuz yeah. we're losing a week anyway. Well, mm-hmm. except it's let's just be real. That week will still exist. And will, you'll, will it? you'll still go through it, mm-hmm. so but you will. You will have shot all of your so gun
4: shells. We shouldn't have uh, the Christmas the, ammo was gone. We shouldn't have gotten the Christmas music out last night. No, mm. Mm, my no. wife shouldn't have gotten her mm. Santa mug and put some hot chocolate in oh,
3: it. Oh, that's way that's
4: too early. My, mm. my son
5: sent Santa his Christmas list about two weeks ago. Wow, he just got the postcard back saying got your list. Here's what I've been watching, and you need to do these three things to make it to Christmas. Mm-hmm. Wow! So you I mean, we're still in the yeah. preliminary
3: stages of yeah. the guilt trip. Yeah, here. you can't pre-cocoa either. Once you once you uh, do what we call the early cocoa, <laughs> then the later seasonal cocos aren't as they're it's not more, as rich, more watered they're down, not as okay, it's not as warm.
4: I'll, I'll compromise with you. All right. Okay. This weekend, I'll watch Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is about Steve Martin and John Candy going home, trying
3: to go home for Thanksgiving. I know. That's a great idea. And and you will be going home for Thanksgiving. The problem, the problem is um, you want to save that probably for Tuesday, Mm. maybe Wednesday. You're going to want it to be cooler. See, your problem is it's still 55 degrees, 60 degrees. I'm going
4: to be in Southern California anyway. So does it really matter? You tell me. Do You
3: want happiness or not? I submit that it does not matter. <laughs> I submit. <laughs> I submit. It does not. Well, I mean, you go. You can do it your way, but when or you the, can do it the right way, right? The, or do it the right way, and and when your children, when your children realize that about I don't know a third of the festive joy that is the season is gone, hmm. don't come crying to me. So, we could do it our way, mm-hmm. as you said, yeah.
4: or we could do it your way, which is to uh, get as little joy as possible into the Christmas season.
3: No. Well, the no, problem
5: no. is about the, you get about halfway through the whole Christmas season and there's Christmas burnout. Yeah. Because it's just Christmas, Christmas, Christmas mm-hmm. ever. The only distraction for me is halfway through, it's Star Wars. Oh, Oh, there you go. But I get to go, wow, look at that, for like three days, and and that just kind of gets me through
3: that. No, Star Wars is a post-Christmas joy. No, no, no. Star Wars is what drives you to the new year. You will
4: see it during your Christmas break. You know you will. I will. Actually, you're going to the employee
3: party. That's where you're seeing it. Yeah. Wow. You guys, let me just tell you. As a, Did you just turn my mic off? (laughs) <laughs> Let
2: me just tell you. Turn it off. Not on purpose. But, uh, I was trying to turn uh, mine off.
3: So, as a 40 Something. 8 eight-year-old male, wow, I think I'm forty-eight. Wow, sixty-nine. Nice. Yeah, um, I, I've lived. I've lived a life, a full life. Hmm. I've learned a lot. Mm-hmm. I've made a mistake, or two. I've made a mistake. <laughs> What's that? Are you going to name it? No. And in all of this learning. So, that day you had pez for breakfast? I want to impart to you my wisdom. Oh, no. And yet you never take it. Well. Go ahead. Life is short, the holiday season's even shorter. Let Halloween be Halloween. Let it be Halloween up to a few days before Thanksgiving Tide. Let Thanksgiving tide be Thanksgiving tide. Ride it. Ride the Thanksgiving wave. Sure. Well into December. And then my wife
5: uses the Thanksgiving weekend to put up the tree.
3: Yes. That's how you do it. Yeah. You then ride that wave. Don't pull the chute yet. Yeah. Don't pull the chute. Right. If you pull the chute too early, you're going, it, it's just, you're going to float for years and not land where you want to land. Wow. Then ride right into the Christmas season. Then enjoy whatever happens there and then ride a little Star Wars excitement it's, through It's before Christmas. It I know but out, I know but you don't have to watch it then. You do though. Save it. Savor it. You, savor it like You a walk good, around in society, like, and people are like, Did you see this? And it ruins the movie. You must see it. Well then see it again. Nah. And then then ride it to January, then hit your pots and pans. <laughs> then no, you gotta come back to work. Okay,
4: I'll, wow. make, I'll make one more compromise. Okay. In addition to watching Planes, Trains, and Automobiles yeah. uh, before Thanksgiving, I, before now and Christmas, I will watch the entire series of James Bond films. Wow. Which is also something you're supposed to do during the Thanksgiving break. Wh- where's that written? Well, that's when all the movies come out on okay. TV. Okay. And you can catch them all on Amazon Prime. Wow.
3: Are we sponsored by Amazon Prime? No, but we just talked about them. It seems like a really good commercial. Ad nauseum. Okay, do it that way. Do it that way. Or you could just be with your family, hang out, hug your kids, nestle by the heater vent if you don't have a fire. Good stuff. Hey, folks, up next we're going to talk about four types of Facebook users. They come in many different shapes, colors, sizes, and also goals. Interesting stuff straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Facebook is one of the leading social media sites in the world. So we all know the different types of people on Facebook, right? You may be one of them. You may love it. You may notice that some of your younger kids or teenagers, they may not be as into Facebook, but we all have the friend who shares way too much. And the friend who only posts, you know, petitions for social change. So here to speak with us today about the four different types of uh, Facebook personalities is uh, Dr. Chris Boyle. He's a professor of communications here at Brigham Young University. And he and a couple of his colleagues have uh, done some pretty serious research on Facebook. And I guess it's it's taking off. Everybody wants to know about it.
2: Yeah, it you know, it caught us off guard when this happened and it was just something we were interested in trying and, and thought would worth be worth looking at and as we looked at it we were kinda of interested in what we found and then as we actually had it published it, it just seemed to catch everyone's attention and, yeah. and it's got people talking. So that's good.
3: First of all, does it are you a Facebooker? I am. So, so you already had it in you.
2: I did. I had it in me. I'm on Facebook. Obviously, you know, it's something I'm interested in, but also with the work we do at the School of Communications, it's important for us to kind of be involved with those social media platforms as well, and Facebook is one of them.
3: It's so int- – I got – because I got my master's degree from Brigham Young University in communications um, like nine, in 97, I think. I don't remember the year. Near 97. But we were not talking about social media. Oh. We were not talking about Facebook. And so is, is that becoming a big part of communication studies?
2: It has to be. You know, in the area that I teach in within the school of communications, within news media, it's a large part of what we, we focus on because we know that that's where people go to get information right. into news. And the same thing I think would apply with our other sequences over there in the school of public relations, advertising. Social media is just a, a mainstream tool right now to get information out there.
3: So what did you, what did you learn about Facebook and how did you learn it?
2: Well, the the main finding we came out with in this research study is that we could classify individuals into four types of Facebook users. Uh, And a lot of it based on their interest in Facebook and what they feel like they use Facebook for. One of those being a relationship builder um, where they focus on building their relationships. Another one is a window shopper where they just get on Facebook to see what other people are doing. It's like
3: like the lady looking over the fence. Exactly, yeah. They're
2: interested and they're on their quite regularly, but they don't necessarily feel a need to do anything with it themselves. Yeah. They just want to see what their friends are doing. Cool. Right? And then there's a, the town criers another category that we came up with based on individuals who like to use that as a means to share information or to promote a certain opinion or view that they have. Again, it's not necessarily they're on there because they want to, you know, build a relationship with a friend that, that's across the country. It's a matter of that they want to be on there to, to say, here's what I feel about this particular topic. And a lot of those users will be those who share you know, news articles or hmm. studies, and again, the interesting thing in my mind is, I I would assume that those people are often sharing the things that that align with their beliefs.
3: Yeah, right. In fact, and you, it's funny. Just as you're going through it, you already can see which one you are. Like, you're are you a Are you there to build relationships you know, and th- networks? Are you there to be a window shopper? Are you there to? Be a town crier?
2: You know, actually, that was what's kind of fascinating for me in this is I had always viewed myself as being someone who's more of a town crier, mainly because of the work I do with with the school and thinking, well, you know, Facebook, I use that to share information that I find interesting. But the more that I looked at it and the more that I looked at the way that the other, you know, these categories came together, I had to admit to myself, I'm more of the, the last category, which is a selfie, right, where I use Facebook mainly to tell people what I'm doing. And it's all about. Me, yeah. right? Or here's here's a picture of what I'm doing. Here's a picture of where I'm at. Here's something I'm involved in, right? And that's what a selfie yeah. is. They're, the they're selfies about themselves. Exactly. It's all about letting people know. Here's what I'm doing. But um,
3: d- does, doesn't a selfie need a window shopper?
2: Yeah, I think so. Or I mean, otherwise, I guess no. Yeah, nobody's nobody, listening. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And again, a, a selfie, I don't think often thinks um, much about you know maybe a window shopper, but they are interested in a selfie's motivated by the likes and the shares. And how often do we get on Facebook and say, okay, well, this obviously is something that was real clever because yeah. look at all these people who either shared it or liked it or commented right, on right. it. Or on occasion where you, you share something you think is really interesting that you're doing and then you almost feel a little bit put off because, oh, no one really liked it mm-hmm. or no one even said anything Nobody about Nobody loves that. me. Exactly.
3: Does um, did, did you notice that – is there a different ranking of who's what? Are there more relationship builders more selfies, more which which of the categories seems to be more prominent?
2: Well, there's not necessarily the way that this method works. It's not necessarily based on this idea of there's more in this category and less in this category. The idea with the the method that we used in this is we surveyed individuals. Um, we, well, first of all, we identify those that, that would qualify for the study, and obviously, would have to be someone who's on re- Facebook regularly, mm-hmm. right? You know, once a week or several times a week, or if not more. And once we identified individuals and could uh, invite them to participate, they came through and they actually organized a series of statements that we created based on motivations for Facebook. Because that's really what started this, all, this whole study off is we were asking the question, why are people on Facebook? Why yeah. do they like it? In fact, the, the lead author was in his office with some of the graduate students and, and they were in the process of using Facebook or, you know, the student had taken a minute to use Facebook and that's what kind of got sparked the, the discussion. Well, why, why do you like getting on Facebook? And hmm. then that became, well, let's look at that as a study, right? So as they put that together, then we went and, and we used this method that that um, you basically bring in individuals who would, would qualify for the study. In this case, again, like I said, Facebook users. And then you ask them to sort a series of statements that we put together or motivations for why they use Facebook. And as they organize these statements, they organize them based on whether they – agree with them or, or feel like this relates to them, hmm. to those that, that least like them, right? Yeah. Um, they, they don't agree with this particular statement, right? So once they organize those statements, we ask them a couple questions based on why did you p- pick these particular statements as ones you agree with or, or feel like you're most like or why – and then why did you not uh, agree with these statements or why do you feel like this one doesn't relate to you? And then, based on that, we we run some statistics to to kind of get these categories as they form. And as you run the statistics, you see these categories come together, hmm. right? So, as we ran the statistics, we could see that people who had the same opinions as to certain statements that they agreed with or disagreed with, they became this particular category, right? You can kind of see yeah. them grouped together. Yeah. And then the the value to this too is that the second part of this this study involves asking, like I said, those questions. And based on those the responses to the questions, you can kind of see um you know, an individual who says that they're a selfie, they answered this particular way and here's some statements that kinda of back that up. Right. And same thing with the other categories. So um it's not necessarily a matter of that there's, you know, more in one and than another. It's just that they seem to group themselves into these four particular categories.
3: Did is there I'm assuming you could also have both. You could be you could like be a selfie and uh and maybe, you know, a Town crier?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think that you could actually go into more than one category. However, I think that there often most of us can at least relate more than than um, into one category than the rest, right? So you may say, "I'm like," for instance, I do feel like I've got tendencies for myself to be a town crier. But if I'm honest with myself, I primarily use Facebook as as a selfie. And I think that we would all be that way. You could you could see yourself in a little bit of each of these categories, but there most likely is one that you're dominant. in.
3: Did you see a difference with the demographics? Were younger were younger participants different than older participants?
2: Well, in the, the or sed- gender. Well, and there wasn't necessarily. We didn't look closely at, or, or nor is this really meant to look at differences based on demographics. It's more based on perceptions and yeah. opinions, right? This right. is we're asking them to give us their opinions and 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 look you know, as to what where, the, you know, it's a very subjective study in that way, right, where they look at whether or not, you know, they agree or disagree with certain statements. And it wasn't necessarily based on on hmm. age or demographics per yeah. se. Yeah, yeah. But we felt confident enough for the way that these categories align themselves so that if we turn around and took this same study and went, you know, somewhere else and did it with a different group of people, most likely you think, yeah, these categories would still be the same ones that would come up.
3: And so where do you see the research going from here on?
2: Uh, you know, I think what this provides is an awareness, right? And I think what we could do, or anyone could do, with something like this is get a sense again of we we know we're on these tools, right? We know, like for instance, I know I'm on Facebook, but I didn't really think a lot about okay, why. why, yeah, right? And now this creates a little bit of an awareness. So then, you know, since I've done this study for myself, as I'm on Facebook, I think about that and go, well, you know, this is again another example of me being a selfie, or yeah. this is an instance of me, of me maybe being more of a town crier, right? So. I think what this can do is this creates a little bit of an awareness and maybe helps individuals recognize okay, I know I'm on this and I know I enjoy doing this, but why
3: right well, and there's also been a lot of other research that I mean it might help you uh I've read of other research that talks about if if you tend to not be active on Facebook but are you're just kind of absorbing a lot of it you might um, you might not be impacting your own identity as much, you might be not. I uh, what's the word like customizing your own opinions, your own identity, but instead just taking in a lot of information. So it's interesting with knowing what your type is. You might even be able to build out a, you know, some tools or skills to be more effective at your type or oh. healthier at your type.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I think that if you recognize, and you know, particularly maybe from a, a professional standpoint, if you recognize that you know you want to use this this tool as a means to promote a business or something that you're doing. Um, and you're on Facebook and you recognize the way that you're doing maybe you recognize your strength as is, is as a you know, a town crier or yeah. something to that effect. So you could use that to maybe benefit your your own means, whether right. it's like I said, a business or otherwise. Or like
3: relationships. If you want to build relationships, you may not always wanna be a town crier. Exactly. Like you may want to shut your mouth about certain yes. things and build relationships.
2: Oh, absolutely! Or it, it, use your,
3: and then you can use your relationship to town cry eventually yeah. or occasionally.
2: Exactly, and if you feel like you know you want again, like you said, you want to be a relationship builder, and you feel like it's not working well, maybe you need to look at what other reasons why you're on Facebook. Is there a reason why the things you're sharing aren't resonating with with yeah. the audience that you know your relationships you're trying to build?
3: And what an interesting question! Like, like it's almost like wow, I can't believe you asked it. But the idea of why are you on Facebook? Yeah, that's like. That's a great question. We should all be asking because many of I, I thought one of the categories would be like addicted, you know, automaton yeah. <laughs> because you're just so it just happens so automatically. But to know why you're on it is
6: important.
2: Oh, absolutely! I think the knowledge is power, and that's what it comes down to. If you know why you're doing it, then you know it can influence what you do with it. And some you know individuals might say, "Oh, I don't like the fact that I'm a selfie on this. I didn't. I don't like yeah. that, that perception." So then maybe that influences the way they use it moving forward.
3: Interesting. Do you um, – what other things, Chris, are you seeing with Facebook as somebody that's in it studying it, researching it? Wh- I mean you know, I always hear people like that are doing everything they can to control their kids from getting on it, watching out. I also know that uh, there was a study that just came out that, that a, a very large percentage of people only receive their news through Facebook. I mean how is, how is social media impacting us overall?
2: Well, I think it impacts us in a lot of different ways, right? Again, in, with the students I work with in the School of Communications, it's interesting to find that, you know, I, I teach a lot of classes that um, that talk about traditional journalism and journalism writing and some of those things, but we we bring that in because we know that that's where people are getting information. That's where they get it. That's where they go, right? They go right to social media, and if you ask someone, okay, you know, the news of the day, where did you get your news, or where did you hear about this story or that story – I would venture to say at least two thirds, if not more, would say, "Well, I, I saw that on social media, um, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Facebook, whether it's other means." So, you know, I think we we use it to gather information. We use it as a way to contact and 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 oftentimes, you know, um, communicate with individuals. And that's maybe a concern that sometimes individ- individuals, um, particularly as we watch teenagers grow up, we think they know how to communicate, you know, via texting or via social media. But can they do it in in you know traditional means? Yeah, right? yeah. And, uh, I
3: guess we also know that uh, social media is where – and this is what we could be careful of – is where a lot of fake news does proliferate and so you got to also pay attention. Like sort – don't just know it came from Facebook because it was probably sourced to Fox News or CNN or some other site, right? So know your sources I'm assuming. Oh,
2: absolutely and you've got to be knowledgeable when you see that information come across, right? Because there, you know, there's even a trend I've seen where individuals will – you know, certain maybe groups with an agenda, whether it's political or otherwise, put together a post on Facebook that looks very much like what you would think is a, a news, news story. Yeah. And so individuals will will see that come across. They may not even click on it. They'll think, Oh wow, you know, and, and they take that information for news. But if you look closely at it and see where it comes from right, or even click on it and and see where it takes you, then you start to recognize, well, okay, this isn't really meant to be traditional news. It's just Mm -hmm. meant to be someone sharing their opinion, but putting it in the form of news, hoping that I I take it to be as credible as a traditional story.
3: It's also, um, I, I think it's just, I think it's fascinating what you've done. Also, with just the four types of Facebook users, they're not judgmental. It's just kind of, you're there to build relationships. You're there to kind of just shop, to notice, to watch. You're a crier, a town crier, or you're a selfie, but... Um, there's not a judgment behind it. It's just to help you understand you.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I don't think one is worse than the other, right? Right. I mean, and some may think that, or may have a perception of, well, I don't like what the perception yeah, of not, being a selfie. It's not good to be selfish. But at the same time, it's you know we recognize selfie is is a broad thing. It's not just necessarily taking literal selfies of yourself. It can be sharing you know all kinds of different yeah. information. You feel. Like, again, in my instance, I felt like when I shared these things, it was, well, I just, you know, people are always interested in knowing what I'm doing or or where I'm at. Right, you know, I've, I've been at a – I've heard a a really great concert. I want to let people know that how great this was. And so I share it thinking I'm just sharing information when in reality that qualifies it as, totally. as a selfie, right?
3: But you can also see, you know, uh, Saturday Night Live or Studio C – you could see they could do a great parody on each one of these. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, and you could and see make and now. literally you could make because you can make fun of every one of them. The oh, one yeah. that the yeah. one that's always looking to build and connect and network, and the one that's always looking over the fence, the one that's always got a movement to talk about.
2: Oh, absolutely! It's crazy. You know, you can, you can poke fun at probably each each and every one of these. That's categories. what's great about it.
3: I mean, I guess that too probably validates that it's the universality of it. It's real.
2: Oh, absolutely! It's it so is, cool. and everyone can relate to one form or the other, right? Yeah, and it, and I think that, and that's what we love about the study is no matter how. How uh, you feel like you're using Facebook, you would probably easily say I'm one of these four categories, and that's what I think has made this kind of a, a study that individuals have talked about since it's come out. Is because that's the first thing people think is okay. Well, where do I fit in, right? And they start that's discussing true. with each other. Okay, well, I, I think I'm more of a selfie, or well, I, I think I'm more of a town crier.
3: Do Do you sense that it would be the same? Um, approach on on across social media. So, are these four categories only specific to Facebook or to Twitter? Also to Instagram? Do you do you, to carry the same approach or do you change your type as you change your your medium?
2: I think you change your type as you change your medium because again, this one you know this particular study was based off of of Facebook, and I think that each platform kind of has its its use, right? I think yeah. a lot of people would say Twitter, for instance, is more of an information sharing platform right people like to share things and primarily it's it's retweeting other information from other individuals so you know say we were to do a study like this with twitter i think they would have to be different there would be different statements to start with because i think people are on different on On different platforms for different reasons, right? And then based on that, I I would suggest we would probably come up with different categories. Some might be, you know, you could probably classify them somewhat similar. You know, like I said, there's a town crier is is very much about sharing information and opinions. I'm I'm willing to bet you would find that with Twitter as well. Yeah. But as far as you know, a window shopper, I you know, it's, it's hard to say. I think you would have to kind of go through and do the study separately mm-hmm. to find out. And and you would see some similarities, but I'd be willing to bet there's some differences as well.
3: Oh, well, I think it's powerful and. Really, again, that's what we need: are just more insights into our own behavior. Really.
2: Oh yeah, and that's and, and that applies, like I said, to to all of our media use. I think the more we can understand about why we're using media and how often we're using it as well, um, can can motivate and determine what we do with it going forward.
3: Yeah, I always. I mean. I always think, okay, so now that I know why I'm using Facebook, do I want someone to get up at my funeral and talk about what a great town crier I was? <laughs> yeah. And I think, well, maybe, yeah, kinda,
2: but maybe not. And and, that, so, and that's what's interesting about this is, you know, you you do certain things with Facebook, for instance, and then you think that maybe there's a, a certain perception you're presenting to your to others as you're on Facebook. But what maybe is that? that you're presenting something different you don't realize that. Maybe, and hopefully this study helps us in recognizing that. Yeah, Again, so for myself, true. I really thought I was through and through a town crier, that I used Facebook primarily to share information. But as I look more at these categories and I look more at the statements behind these categories, and I did it for myself, I'm realizing, okay, no, it's, it, that's not the case at all. I'm a selfie.
3: And especially, and it also might explain why you look for likes.
2: Yeah, exactly. And
3: why it validates you so much. And because I'm assuming a window shopper's not looking for likes, oh, not at all they because are the
2: liker. if anything, yeah, exactly, they're the liker or they they don't really feel' a need to share information at all, right? Yeah. And it's not because they feel like well i I don't like sharing i mean it might be that might be that they don't like sharing information on Facebook. there's some who will say, well, I just don't feel like I have anything to share mm-hmm. but i'm I'm interested in what other people have to say, and I'm interested in what other people are doing, and you know. Those are the, the window shoppers, the ones who just they don't have any kind of desire or drive to be on there all the time to put their own stuff up. They just want to see what other people are doing.
3: And how great it would be, too, just in my work where if I could start to understand that my wife is on Facebook because she's a relationship builder. And if I'm more of a selfie, then I may not understand why she's doing it or whatever. So we could actually maybe understand others. Oh, absolutely. Better.
2: I think so as well. You know, and and understand, like you said, you you don't know why maybe you're a friend or a significant other is is on that platform so much or why they're doing the things they do or why they choose to share these things. Well, now you know because you've you got an idea of the category they could fit into.
3: Absolutely. That's
2: powerful. Well, we appreciate you. Chris Boyle
3: is his name. He's uh, Dr. Chris Boyle here on the campus. He is a, um, a professor at the School of Communications here right here at Brigham Young University. And uh, we're going to have to have you back. We've got a lot of communication topics.
2: Oh, great. Anytime. I love and to Especially
3: journalism media. It's going through turmoil, right? It
2: now. is. There's there's lots to talk about. We will
3: have you back, uh, Chris Boyle. Thank you so much and continue uh, continue doing your great work there. And we will continue um, bringing you the latest and greatest, especially now that you know your Facebook personality or your Facebook type. Uh, what are you going to do about it? We'll be talking about it up next, a little coach's corner. This is the Matt Townsend show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. i'm
5: ready to go
3: in coach just give me a chance
4: because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner
3: play ball play ball what a novel idea right uh to ask yourself why why do you use the the social media you use why do you get online What is your actual goal? And um, because to not know means you're probably you may not even be accomplishing your goal or you may be, as uh, Chris Boyle was talking about, you you, you may be in for a shocker. Like you may think that you're getting online simply because you want to change the world or connect to your neighbors and friends. But really what you're doing is you're just perpetuating self. Um, Which, again, there's not a bad side to any of those uh, different things, but it might be worth trying to figure out why. Some other rules I would make sure that you're using while you're using your social media, you you can also, you know, still model some pretty excellent social skills. You don't need to because the anonymity of social media, you don't need to debase yourself and lower your standard and become a jerk. You don't need to. Uh, just because it's an, an anonymous uh, feedback on a chat, uh, on a comment board or whatever, you don't need to be rude you can, and you don't need to fight every fight, right? So you could still model your social skills. You could also still model your values and beliefs um, as you're posting, as you're looking at what you're doing. See if it actually jibes with your, with your values and your belief system. Does it actually align to what you most want to be? Do you want to go down in history and have at your funeral your grandkids get up there and talk about, man, could grandma surf the web? (laughs) And by the way, it's not a problem if that's what you want your grandkids to talk about. But it might be that you want your grandkids to say, man, what was so cool is that I always had grandma following me. She looked at everything that I did. She stayed connected and she commented in meaningful ways to what I was doing. Grandma stayed connected to us through social media. That might be a really powerful thing if that's what your values and your beliefs are. Also, you could um, model connection and sensitivity. Um, what a great way to keep a lot of the people that are closest in your life close to you than by simply constantly using your social media to actually connect and be sensitive. Um, you know, speak appropriately, make comments that are additive to community and to others that benefit others' lives. How powerful could that be? And also understand clearly to you and your family and model to you and your family what we call the law of the harvest, that you're going to reap what you sow. Uh, If you want, it's the karma rule. Send out good tidings. You're going to get good tidings back. Um, It's it's a It's a powerful thing to know that you are an influencer and people are are having actual real mood changes. You could make somebody's day by having a post. Many times on my site, um, I've actually had a, a lot of people contact me and say that one post changed this this day for me. That one post helped me overcome this one issue. So be thinking of others while you're out there on your social media. Even if you're just doing it for your own brand or your own self, you can still think of others and model social skills, model your values and beliefs, model connection and sensitivity, and know that you will someday reap what you sow. It's all good stuff to remember, a little coaching idea for you, and hopefully we can just elevate our – all of us could elevate our social media game. We'll continue the journey as we wrap up this first hour of the program straight ahead on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Hey, as we wrap up this hour, uh, Terry's got a little update for us. Um, Cell you, phones if, in school. she got a kid in school.
5: I had another story, but... Jeff's yeah. birthday ruined it, so yes. we're not going to do that.
3: I'm not a millennial after all. I was going to prove him like, wrong. Quit acting like one.
5: <laughs> so we'll go with this one. This is very interesting. Washington Post cover story today. Yeah. Exploring the research that has started to find the, uh, trying to find the effect of cell phones in elementary and middle schools. Hmm. What's it doing to education? In Maryland's biggest school system, the suburban Montgomery County, some of the rules have been relaxed in recent months. It used to be that students through fifth grade could carry cell phones only with special permission. But over the years, an increasing number of parents wanted their elementary-aged children to take phones to school, often believing kids would be safer walking home or in an emergency. Hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, makes, makes sense. sense. As the Maryland district recently moved to do away with the old rules, uh, other parents objected, shocked that children as young as six or seven would be permitted to bring smartphones to school. One father recalled his child's school banning fidget spinners and Pokemon cards. Why would they allow cell phones? Well, it's different,
3: is it? Well, you can't you can't call nine one one on a fidget spinner. <laughs> but distractions and you know that kind yeah, of thing. That's true.
5: Well, there's little national data on how school systems handle such issues. It appears that uh, they, uh, different schools approach it very differently. Some schools ban smartphones altogether, while others allow them in hallways or during lunch or actively incorporate them into instruction in the classroom. Researchers are exploring possible negative effects related to concentration, academic focus, and overstimulation. Hmm. On the positive side, he said, educators are using devices in classrooms as a way to engage students in course material. There you go. So you get both sides yeah. of it there. Elizabeth Englander, a professor at Bridgewater State University in Massachusetts, uh, Mas- uh, Massachusetts, said that a survey of third graders in five states found that 40% had a cell phone in 2017. What percent? 40% had a cell phone in 2017. Okay. 80% said they brought them to school daily. 80 of that
3: 40%. Interesting. My, well, my kids, I now know they are in school right now because I can see on my map that they made it to school. So. Plus, they're texting you throughout now, the show. Their grades right. are horrible. Because they're folks. (laughs) (laughs) But at least they're in school. Good stuff. Interesting stuff. That's why we do the program, folks, to give you the heads up, the tools you need to be the good in the world.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
2: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
2: At Dr. Matt
1: Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
2: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
7: Dr. Matt Townsend.
2: Now.
3: on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, friends. Welcome back to the program. Dr. Matt here, along with Jeff and Terry. The gang's all here. And guess who's not the millennial? Uh, Terry. Terry's definitely not a millennial. But I'm, Jeff, I am a Xennial though. Jeff's still on the border line, I think. No,
5: he's at the higher end of Zennials.
3: That's what they say, but the, the article I had that I was disappointed about. Wouldn't he be that would be the zenith of the zenial.
5: they're saying there's a we talked about it before, there's this new group. You're not a Gen X. No. You're not a you're not a millennial. millennial. You're a zenial. so you're X and millennial zenial. Yeah. Uh, set nineteen seventy seven through nineteen eighty three according to that chart. Yeah, and then the the article goes through who came up with the word basically. But it, it's this group of people who remember having no computer yeah, whatsoever yeah. Yeah. and then also ended up having Computers everywhere and mm-hmm. are comfortable in both worlds where people that are older, like, say, you, Matt, have huh? this stress huh? when it comes to new technology ah. and embracing new ideas. What? And, and you're pounding older. your fist back
4: in my day, the world, you know, that I, I kind think of person. those
5: are actually baby
3: boomers.
4: <laughs> now, hold on a second. He may have a point there because one new are you idea. Are pointing at me when you said yes. he has a point? Okay. No. Uh, one new idea that you seem to be having a hard time accepting is that I'm not a millennial. Wow, look at that! Mm. That was just new information, and you're having
5: a hard time with it.
3: Yeah, well, it's because it changes every week. Yeah, I know. And then depending
4: on
5: where what <laughs> list you look in. on,
3: he is a millennial. He's not a millennial. He's a zennial, but he doesn't he doesn't appear to be a zennial like like you. I thought the number slid, and
5: possibly he was born in 1984, and so yeah. he's just on the outside, and then we could make fun of uh-huh. him
3: being a millennial. No. Yeah, but no, foiled again. <laughs>
6: what, do, <laughs> what do you, do you think
3: Donald Trump Jr. is? Because he's getting in some trouble now again. I think he's probably a millennial. Me so? I don't know how old he is. Yeah. But he's – apparently he's been talking to WikiLeaks a little bit back little bit. in the day during, yeah. the, during the election. Yeah. But WikiLeaks, you know, is they've, – they've actually – He's a zennial. Is he a zennial? He's 39 years old. Oh, yeah. See? Oh, yeah, yeah. He is. See, so he's he's of your ilk. He's out there – When's his birthday? Gathering WikiLeaks connections. December
4: 31st, New Year's Eve. What date,
5: though? 1977. Okay. He's in. He's in. You have to be 1977. If not, then.
3: Oh, yeah. He's totally in. Eric, however.
5: Yeah. Is a millennial. He has problems with Fun Dip, according to Saturday Night Live. No. Come on. It's pretty funny.
3: But one of the things, I guess, um, but President Trump, this is an interesting thing that his, his, apparently, his uh, approval ratings have gone up, according to some recent polls. He's like up into the 40s now. Oh, wow. Which tells you Huge when he when he leaves the country. <laughs> yeah. Cuz this happened when he went to Europe. It did. He needs to
5: Well, he's leave again more. he's less available to tweet. He's busy doing state business.
3: I mean, that is a great lesson. It really I mean, it really is cuz it works, right? It, yeah. You hear less you, you, you see less. Hmm.
0: And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You
1: like me.
3: There's uh, President Trump talking about his new ratings. There you go. His new <laughs> approval rating. His voice seems a lot higher on A little on radio. pitchy. A mm-hmm. little pitchy there a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's actually a really interesting lesson for when he comes home. Maybe what he ought to do is follow the same protocol, the same pattern. Really? Of tweeting that he does when he's on the road, because mm. a lot of people like him now.
5: Less business, really like him. More, more really business like. oriented, less yeah. picking
3: fights. Uh-huh. Huh. Uh huh. And just keep pushing. Just keep pushing but, on taxes. But just his keep base. Pushing kind of, that but way. His
5: base said they kind of like him picking fights.
3: Well. Except then why do his ratings drop? So his base may like it, but his yeah. base isn't going anywhere.
5: I like think we need to figure out where his base is, and you'll probably see that number isn't moving. It's, no, it's the, just the people the, outside whatever. the base. Up
3: to the 36 percent, they love him. He, yeah. it doesn't, he could do whatever. Sure. And by the way, he's done almost everything. Like he said, he could shoot yeah. somebody on Fifth Avenue. They wouldn't care. I probably agree. <laughs> that's what he said. Don't tempt him. Don't tempt him. But what's cool is uh, it's it's the kind of the independence that seemed to be swinging more in his favor when he just shuts it a bit and and brings down the the you know the intensity. Mm. And you were gonna say something else. Tweets a lot less. He's
5: been self-editing all the way through this. It's great.
3: <laughs> I'm exhausted. He's all contorting himself. Yeah. To- Let's get to the headlines, Terry. What else should we be paying attention to today?
5: Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said Monday that he believes the women who have accused Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore of sexual misconduct. McConnell said Moore, the Republican candidate in Alabama's December 12th race, should step aside. He also told reporters that pursuing a writing candidate for the election was an option. Moore, whose name uh, cannot be removed from the ballot under Alabama law, has denied the allegations of sexual misconduct. Per Real Clear Politics polls taken since Thursday show Moore leading his Democratic opponent, uh, Doug Jones, by just two points. National Republican Senatorial Committee Chair Senator Cory Gardner said Monday the Senate should vote to expel Roy Moore if he mm. wins the race to become Alabama's next U.S. senator. Wow.
3: I mean, we're, if they're not tr- careful people are going to get frustrated and just go to the democrat right that would that would really mess then there's a the question are, are there the enough GOP? democrats in
5: alabama to make a difference and there's a question on that yeah. it's not necessarily a popular thing to be
3: and poor alabama yeah i just think they keep people keep making fun of them because <laughs> i mean it's not people it's saturday night live well yeah there's other people too you but. can't put down an entire state because of You know, two of your senators. Well, one senator and one former former senator. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Brett J. Talley, a lawyer who has never tried a case, but has been nominated to a federal judgeship by President Trump, failed to disclose that he is married to a White House lawyer in congressional paperwork. The New York Times reported on Monday. Hold on. Is, Is it illegal to be married to a White House lawyer? Um, no, but Talley's wife, Ann Donaldson, is the chief of staff to White House counsel Don McGahn and is apparently a person of interest in special counsel Robert Mueller's probe into possible obstruction of justice by Trump. Oh. So just a fun fact. On Sunday, the Washington Post reported that Talley, the new judge, or his judgeship, is that what you would call him? His ship uh, d- His, d- d- his op- Wap- Wapnerus. His Wapnerus. Yeah, his, wa- his holy yeah. Wapner. He's a. I don't know if he's been... Confirmed, he's been nominated. There's been several cases that have gone through recently, right? But uh, Tally's just one of these for an example, whose nomination was advanced by the Senate Judiciary Committee on Thursday, along party lines, received a un what a unanimously not qualified rating from the American Bar Association, becoming the second of Trump's judicial nominees to
3: receive such a rating. Do you know how hard it is to get a unanimous decision that you're not qualified? I mean, at any point, any one person could have thought, "Hey, I think he's qualified." But to get a unanimous, that's the hard thing to do.
5: Now, the association with his wife working for the White House, yeah, chiefs or the lawyers in the able White to House, push it through. Still, the the question with that is you know you get the kind of maybe a, a nepotism question you get yeah. a bias question that way with your wife working for the administration does that put pressure on you to vote certain yeah. ways like those types of questions like, would have been asked but they weren't because he failed to disclose well Mitch McConnell's wife but my question is she why she disclosed how can the senators or their staff look into who the guy's married to that's sitting right. in front of you that yeah, should right. be like a question
3: right who's your wife that's right and again let's get real this is all the democratic politics saying he evil, get rid of him. And they yeah. have to do it. you got to get as many out as you can, but there'll just be another one right behind him that right. was Trump-appointed.
5: But you have a guy that's never tried a case before yeah. and gets a federal judgeship.
3: Well, I, I know, but... Does you got to start somewhere. A, I mean, there's a lot of people that... <laughs> Maybe not with a federal judge. A, well, a we, d- we have a brand new health uh, oh, yeah. cabinet secretary that used to run Big Pharma. Right, it's fine. It's <laughs> fine. Like, it seems like counterintuitive. That's yeah, But, great. okay see what happens drain A- the
5: swamp fbi stats out on monday show an increase last year in attacks motivated by bias against blacks jews muslims and lgbt people according to the associated press there were more than 6100 hate crimes reported last year up about five percent from 2015 oh, wow more than half of the 4229 racially motivated crimes were against black people 20 percent were against whites Jews were targeted in more than half of the 1,538 crimes motivated by religion. Crimes fueled by bias against LGBT people rose from 203 in 2015 to 234. Those are again reported.
3: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, numbers. yeah, you know these numbers. Sir. There
5: were 307 crimes against Muslims in 2016, up from to the 257 in 2015, which was the highest number since the a- aftermath of 9-11. The numbers uh, likely reflect an uptick re- and recorded by civil rights groups in harassment and vandalism targeting Muslims, Jews, blacks, and others uh, coming right after the 2016 election. Wow, there was yeah. a lot of those types of vandalism that happened. So
1: That's
5: a
3: big deal. Numbers. I mean, again, numbers, but... Um, I was driving down the street, and I noticed, so, and everything was stopped, and it was so hard, and we were on a major thoroughfare, and I look over, and there are 150 women Hmm. in black hijabs, just totally covered, carrying signs that I, I couldn't read, and, um, it was, it was from like the uh, – it was like an Islamic center in Utah. Mm-hmm. We're doing a woman's walk. And the cops were kind of making sure like nobody could, you know, get in the way. But but it, there's this inherent bias that, and fear and bias. And the minute I'm driving by it, I'm like, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. And then I realized we're all a little biased. I'm biased. I've, I would love them to meet them. Right. But I immediately had fear and – like, what are, what are they doing here kind of going through my head? Right. And if that's going on, everybody has, we all have biases to overcome. Absolutely. LGBT, black, white, whatever. And remember, we just did that whole thing about how many people in the South, or America, was it South? It was in I the think, South. Feel like whites are under attack. Right. It's just, it's the strangest time. But we got to look at, look at your bias, look at it. Okay. And what finally, else? your uh, more, more lighter notes
5: here. Yeah. Finish on a lighter note. Ten dishes you should never make on Thanksgiving. Okay, listen, Jeff. This is according to a website, TheInsider.com. This is really good. Don't so, make it. Don't don't make any of these, Jeffrey. This apparently is the inside knowledge. Uh, Thanksgiving is arguably the best food holiday in the U.S. Do you agree? Uh, disagree? Oh, absolutely. I agree. I love fest. how some of that transfers to Christmas. Mm-hmm. I think it's just kind of showing yeah, how great it's Thanksgiving. is. I think is. it's a glutton fest. So you got turkey stuffing, sweet potatoes. There's mm. a lot of fantastic mm. dishes to, cut, to choose from. So why waste time on sides that nobody wants? Right. Great point. Yeah. So here's ten dishes Kay. that these people feel are a total waste of your okay. time. Let's get there on Turkey Day one. Canned cranberry sauce. No, you
3: need that.
4: But in the shape of the can, uh-huh. you need that on uh-huh. the table, and then
3: you got to grab the plate and wiggle it around.
4: Okay. Why can't you just have that for the leftovers when you're making a sandwich? Oh, it's the perfect
5: sandwich making. Yeah. It says there's something about 21 grams of sugar coagulated into the shape of a can that's mm-hmm. a major turnoff. For who? For the people that wrote this, is what okay. I'm saying. Aren't our are
4: bellies jiggling enough that yeah. we don't need to see what it looks like on the table? I like to fill my belly
3: and watch it jiggle.
4: They say at least spruce
5: it up by adding orange juice and zest or just, you know, chop it up so it don't look but like d- a can. It really does make the perfect sandwich top. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you're, make- when you're making a sandwich, yeah. you need your flat. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Understood. Two, green bean casserole. People don't like that. I like on one, that. Apparently. Oh, it's nasty with the onions and the creaminess. And... Go, oh. You think it's healthy because of green beans, <laughs> but then you add all this other stuff to it, cheese See, and heavy this cream. this is the
3: and... thing. Yeah,
5: it's like it's not healthy. Yeah, Pecan pie or pecan pie. Oh, I love pecan pie. They say it's almost 500 calories a slice. Uh-huh, it's a bit of heaven. It's <laughs> like, no, every one of these has to do with, like, it's, you know, a calorie bomb. And I go, that's Thanksgiving. Well, what are they thinking? Ambrosia salad. Huh? What's that? It's salad with Jello and other stuff. They're saying basically anything that includes Cool Whip has no business calling itself a salad. <gasps> the, and the next one is jell is Fighting Woods Jello Salad. Yeah, Jello. I never liked Jello at Thanksgiving. It seems it, says it seems like a terribly antiquated dish. It also has no business calling itself a salad.
3: And it's got calf hoofs in it. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, vegetable tray. Uh, really, I yeah. like a little vegetable Maybe as tray. a snack yeah, before, before eat, it, like yeah, yeah you got to train yourself. I like to it's, get some some infrastructure built
5: in sure. my gut. They're saying you have so many dishes to feast upon. Why waste people's time with raw vegetables?
3: No, but like you got to have the olives that you put on your fingers and do it eat as every olive. Do it as a snack.
5: Nah, getting up, up to pre, the meal. It's the yeah. pre corn pudding. Do you ever have
4: corn <laughs> pudding? <laughs>
5: <laughs> Not a fan. I take it.
3: Eat your corn pudding, Larry. Yeah,
5: they're saying it. Giblet gravy. Uh, no, mm. but. I mean, how do you make gravy? Okay. Well, but gi- giblet
4: is. That's a big deal. You take, yeah. you take the little package giblet. of leftover stuff inside the turkey net so you yeah. make the gravy, right? Yeah, giblet net. I'm okay with it. Just maybe don't bring it up at dinner time.
3: Yeah. But let's have let's have there more giblets let than jibs. And, Do you and, like your giblet you, gravy? You take,
5: the, you take the giblet liver, heart, all that stuff out yeah. when you bring the gravy into the table. You don't leave it all in there so hey, they discover it. As
3: they, uh, is anybody going to eat the neck? Just plops out as you're pouring I really it out there. to eat the neck. Pureed squash. Oh. For some reason, people like this. No, but like babies love it. Sure, but you know, adults. Pureed but. Have you ever had like, 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 it's so it's like potatoes, right? It's just. Yeah.
5: It's, they're saying it's bland. What's the point? It's Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's a good point. And uh, dinner rolls. What? Yeah, they're They saying take up a lot of room. Okay. Yeah, save rolls for another are, night.
4: They're wrong. You don't like the list? How do you sop up yeah. the goo? It's true. And the
3: giblet gravy. <laughs> it is true.
4: You know, a good thing, I guess, uh, something that could be said in favor of the roll is that you can just kind of, when there's no room left on your plate, you can just kind of throw it on top
3: anywhere. That's right. Yeah. I like to put two in my pocket. <laughs> and then you just throughout the day you're like you find a surprise. You're like, holy cow. That's when I know I need to stop,
5: is when you start making the second layer. Uh-huh. You're like, ooh, I better slow down.
3: Yeah. Oh. See, but the the bad thing is and uh, this sounds bad, but mm. I, I go I don't eat I eat at another person's house, yeah, so I way. don't ever get
5: leftovers. Leftovers, so you feel like you need to take advantage. I now. feel
3: ripped off. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It actually, I'm at, not right now. I'm getting very angry. My mom it. in the
5: past has uh, she would actually cook another turkey at home. Oh, your We'd mom. We go eat somewhere else. And she wants the leftovers, so she cook a mom. whole Thanksgiving dinner.
4: See, that's why we're going to do another turkey for Christmas, Christmas oh. Eve
3: or Christmas night. Yes. Yeah, yeah. see How you are? See now that. We talked earlier about how you were kind of blowing Christmas.
4: Yeah, he's kind of ruining it. But
3: now you, now you're, you're redeeming yourself.
4: Speaking of blowing things, yeah. you are going to blow your perfect run here on no, no. on You're going
3: try to you're going to try to trick me
4: yeah. today. You mentioned earlier in the show we talked about uh, Roy Moore, right? Right, and how. Maybe it's possible that that somebody that comes forth in these types of allegations is is not really telling the truth. Yeah, like one in a thousand, right? So okay. I'm going to give you an opportunity to spot the fake in these matlibs, and okay. it's going to be election related. Since oh, wow. he's got this election coming up, okay. So there are five, just very quick blurbs. So hold on. Now you're, you keep adding more and no, no, more, no, no. This which is, makes this
3: more tricky. This
4: is down from the last time. Okay. okay. So I have to find the fake. You have to find the fake. Four of these will be true. Four of these will be true. These are election results. Okay. You ready? I guess. An Ardvark was elected as a member of the National Assembly of Namibia. Okay. A new Sydney Harbor Ferry will be christened Ferry McFerry Face.
3: Okay. And
4: uh, what they put in there was, we hope it brings a smile to the faces of visitors and locals alike. Okay. The people of a town in Ecuador elected a foot powder as mayor. Vote for any candidate. But if you want well-being and hygiene, vote for and then the name of the powder. (laughs) Don't want to give it away. In case that is the real one. The people of Brazil elected an illiterate clown to their Congress and the illiterate clown said, I don't know what congressmen do, but vote for me and I'll let you know. (laughs) And then the last one, Bender from the television show Futurama was voted in to head up the Washington, D.C. school board.
1: Okay.
3: So you've got to find the fake. <sighs> See, this is, you've complicated it because you've added way too many. Oh, come on.
4: I had more than this last time and it didn't stop you from guessing the right one. An
3: aardvark from Namibia. Mm-hmm. Fairy McFairy Face. Yeah. Foot Powder as Mayor. hmm Illiterate Clown. Yep. Or Bender from Futurama. Yes. Well, what was Bender uh,
4: nominated to? Uh, he was voted uh, to head up the Washington, D.C. school board.
3: He was voted or just made the ballot? Voted in. Is, okay. Yeah. Um. Okay. I am going to go with the fake is Bender from Futurama. Bender from Future. Do you
4: want me to give you the answer now or later?
3: Um, I will say now. I got you. Hold it.
4: What? Who is it?
3: Oh, I finally Look, got you. Let me get. Let me get one more guess okay. just while we're here, I'm going to then say it would be. Uh, <laughs> Foot powder as mayor. <laughs>
2: Whoa, two
3: wrong
4: guesses. What is it? The fake was an aardvark was elected as a member of the National Assembly of Namibia. Mm. Yeah, that There was... were a lot of other animals that were elected no, to a totally. certain position. They make it everywhere.
3: But that one was the fake. Well, and I should have known that because the National Assembly is a very high, high calling there. Hmm. <laughs> yeah.
4: But the uh, the aardvark is uh, found
3: in how did Africa. Bender, so, how did Bender win? I have no idea. Yeah, I think that's
4: it's wrong. Well, because he shows up a lot of times on memes yeah. and social media.
3: So very I mean, I, I popular. Could see, very I can see that he makes the ballot. I can't see that he wins the ballot. But, um, okay, you got me. Finally, there's one. One for the Zenniel. <laughs> Okay, straight ahead. Hey, we're going to be talking about how to conquer your fear. And who better to help us than, uh, how about a downhill skier? (laughs) One of the scariest jobs on earth. Kristen Ulmer will be joining us to talk about her new book, The Art of Fear, Why Conquering Fear Won't Work, and What to Do Instead. Straight ahead. experiences some type of fear whether it be fear of death or of public speaking Kristen Olmer, who uh, was voted the most fearless woman athlete, female athlete in North America and was known as being the best big mountain extreme skier In the world for 12 years, she doesn't claim that she conquered her fears, but does say that she became intimate with them. She's here today to talk to us about uh, how she made friends with her fears and how we can do the same. She's the author of the recent book, The Art of Fear, Why Conquering Fear Won't Work and What to Do Instead. Kristen, thank you so much for being with us today.
6: Hi, Matt. This good morning.
3: Good, good to have you. This is. Um, I, I love your approach to this because a lot of us feel like you know we need to overcome fear. We need to kind of like eliminate it from our lives. It shouldn't be a part of our life. But it, it sounds like you you believe it's better to just kind of make it a friend.
6: I do. You know the language. Everybody wants to conquer, overcome, let go of fear. Use your rational mind to get rid of it. You know that's the language around fear, but the thing is, fear is with us every single moment of every single day in nearly every single interaction we have, and we're just kind of in denial of it, and we then fight a war with it, and that war is being carried out in our unconscious mind, and it messes up our lives in ways that are either really obvious, like panic attacks or insomnia, keeping us you know fear keeping us awake at night, or uh, chronic anxiety or irrational fear. Or it messes up our lives in covert ways or re- redirected ways that we're not even aware of is uh, the result of the repression of fear.
3: Mm. And so it's we we think we can push it down deep and or you know expel it from our existence, but it, fear really is uh, it's 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 actually a normal thing. If I if I were standing in the gate at the top of one of your downhill events, I'd be terrified. I mean, this is oh, it's yeah. it's scary, scary stuff. So, especially like when you've watched. I mean, I grew up watching those those. I think it was NBC, "The Thrill of Victory," "The Agony of Defeat," where a ski jumper or somebody tumbles down the hill, and you're like, "Holy cow!" How do so? Is this where you learned about fear? Was in the gate, or I mean, I'm sure it was even younger than that.
6: Well. Think about fear in a broader sense. It's not just, oh, we're gonna feel it when we're in the gate of a downhill. And mind you, I was a big mountain extreme skier. I've never done a downhill. That, oh, that's that'd
3: terrifying. be yeah. Right? yeah, that would be terrifying, wouldn't it?
6: <laughs> right. But I mean, just even in our interactions, like even this interview right now, you know, this is a scary experience. Like I'm afraid of saying something stupid.
3: Get in and line.
6: Then, right. And <laughs> And then, uh, you know, relationships, like every time you go on a date, fall in love, get married, you know, that's scary. Have a baby. Uh, Every single moment of every single day, there's going to be some fear involved. Even at a party when I'm meeting somebody new, it's like, I want this person to like me. I have fear of rejection. So it's with us all the time. So, yes, I learned about fear, to answer your question, from my ski career, mostly because there were some things that I did right by fear, and there are some things that I did wrong by fear. And yeah, I was called fearless, and I didn't feel any fear. You know, that that is actually a misnomer, though. It, it didn't even occur to me to feel fear during my ski career. But actually, if you look beneath my relative reality, fear was with me all the time, like fear of uh, not being loved, fear of being invisible; those were my motivators. For some people, like Bill Gates, fear of failure just motivates him to do great things. So, if you're really willing to be honest with yourself, you'll find fear there all the time.
3: And do you, how do you convert it? Um, because I mean, fear naturally, right, is supposed to. It's it's probably protecting us. It thinks, or our subconscious thinks, from you know, doing something stupid from, you know, overextending. Um, So how do you convert kind of a natural response to something that serves you instead of something that exhausts you?
6: Well, there are two choices on what we can do about fear. Like picture fear at work. Like if you want to do a good job at work, anxiety is going to be a constant issue. And make no mistake, anxiety is just a new word for fear. Like, you don't even want to call it fear anymore. So we call it worry, anxiety, nerves. And it is supposed to take you into a heightened state of awareness because you don't want to mess it up, right? Right. And it's always going to be there, especially if you want to do great things with your life. Um, That is unless you want to, like, not work and sit in an ashram your whole life and sing Kumbaya. right? (laughs) Right. But you have two choices on what to do with it. You can either block it out or avoid it or ignore, control, fight it. You know the language. And you can put a lot of intensive effort into that, you know, getting massages, going to the gym, meditation, medication, (laughs) breathing techniques, those kinds of things. And it works. It gives you temporary relief. But what happens is the fear doesn't dissipate. It actually just gets stored in your body and it backs up. And then it gets harder and harder to block out over time. So what you get for temporary relief, oh, I don't have to deal with my fear, is next thing you know, it becomes harder and harder to block that fear out. Um, Maybe you bring it home with you because you're not dealing with your fear at work and little things start to bug you. You're picking fights with your wife, right? Or next thing you know, you have some sort of anxiety disorder, insomnia. You know, your fear is keeping you awake in the middle of the night. Ultimately, too, because it becomes so exhausting to not deal with your fear, you burn out. You know, you just don't want to do the thing anymore that you used to love. So the other option is what I call having a fear practice where freedom is available by turning towards the thing that is causing you problems rather than away from it. And uh, I imagine that's what we'll talk about now.
3: That's huge. Turn towards it instead of away from it. I mean, you're right, because it is it's like a cumulative effect, right? You just keep you just keep the more you're stuffing it and and turning away from it. it, It's just it's just behind the next corner. It's behind the next situation. Um, So so when you talk about uh, how about turning toward it, how how do we do this? Let's say my fear is a fear of I mean, it could be more subtle than even public speaking, it could be a fear of failure, like you're saying, or a fear of not being liked. Um, How do you actually recognize what the actual, like, root fear is? And does that even matter if you know the root fear?
6: Well, there's fear and there's fears. So let's separate the two. Fear is just the sensation of discomfort in your body. And you can close your eyes right now and you can probably find it. Because, like I said, it's there all the time. Like, close your eyes right now, and if somebody's listening, you know, and you're driving down the road, don't close don't
3: do your eyes. Yeah, <laughs> pull over and close your eyes. Yes.
6: Yeah, so, cl- close your eyes and find that sensation of discomfort in your body, and there won't be any kind of thoughts associated with it. It's just a feeling, and it, it'll feel like anxiety, nerves, angst, or because all the emotions are so intimately connected, it may feel like anger. Hmm. It may even feel like sadness. You know, oftentimes we would rather feel anger than, than fear because it feels more powerful. Like the kid that has a really scary home life will just resort to anger instead because it makes him feel um, kind of less like a victim. Yeah. And so it also may show up as sadness. So all the emotions are very interconnected. You can't repress one emotion without it affecting all the others. So that's find cool. that sensation now. And for me, I feel it today in my throat and in my chest. Where do you feel it?
3: I feel it under, like, under my ribs, so in my, like, by my heart, I guess.
6: And sometimes when I say locate discomfort, people will say, oh, well, my lower back hurts or my old broken leg. And oftentimes there is an undealt-with emotional component that's exacerbating illness or pain from an old injury. So find that discomfort and just acknowledge that it's perfectly normal and natural to feel this way. Life is a scary experience. We're going to come in contact with horrible situations, difficult times. We're going to see some bad things in our lives. People are going to treat us wrong. Um, It's just perfectly normal and natural to feel that sensation. So that's fear. When it starts to be fears, like maybe an OCD or fear of clowns or, you know, Mm -hmm. some sort of uh, fear of rejection, of course, is, is a big one, fear of failure, all that then that's kind of that sensation combined with a thought. Hmm. And so how we turn towards it, like let's take, let's take insomnia or monkey mind in the middle of the night. Oftentimes what that is is undealt with fear, pushed down. And then when you don't deal with your fear, it'll be, I call it down in the basement. It'll look for opportunities to come out whenever your guard is dropped, like say in the middle of the night. So it comes out, it shows up, and it hijacks your mind. So you start to think that fear's in your mind and not a sensation of discomfort in your body at all. What are we taught to do about insomnia then is we're taught to turn away from it, like go and distract yourself, breathe in calm, breathe out your fear, you know, try to calm your mind down. Yeah. I say turn towards it instead, and this is a little trick that I do if, I, if monkey mind or fear wakes me up in the middle of the night. I turn towards it, and I give it my complete undivided attention.
3: Hmm. You you actually you you light it up, you shine the light no, on it.
6: No, that's very different.
3: So you, no, I, how do you turn toward it?
6: You don't give it like a, a shot glass of caffeine, or you don't like ramp it up. It's kind of like a whining child. You know, do you have children? Yes. All right. They're they're, they're past
3: whining now. They're just <laughs> grumbling.
6: Okay. Yeah. So what do you do when they're whining or grumbling?
3: Well, I, well I, I want to get mad, but instead I have to turn and listen.
6: Right. So that's what you do. It's not like you're turning to your child and saying, okay, drink this Mountain Dew and, and let's get really upset now. That's not what this is about. This is about just giving that child your undivided attention and being curious about what it has to say or, what you know, it being fear, child being a person, what he or she has to say. And if you do that, what happens with that child
3: They end up sharing, and once they've shared, they seem to tire themselves out.
6: Yeah, they feel better. You know, 7.5 billion people on the planet, what do we all want? Peace. Peace. Yeah, we all want peace. We all want love. We want to be seen and heard and understood, and that's the same thing with our emotions. I like to personify our emotions, fear in particular. I like to see fear as like a child or roommate or spouse. It's like, how would you treat your child, your roommate, your spouse, if you wanted to have a great relationship with them? Well, you give them love and consideration and attention, and then you have a healthy, happy relationship with this individual called fear. Hmm.
3: That's great. That's great insight. Again, we're speaking with Kristen Ulmer about her book, The Art of Fear, Why Conquering Fear Won't Work?, and what to do instead. And she's walking us through really a process of, um, of, of, of a fear practice, how to turn toward your fear and, and, and start to, I guess, know it, recognize it, understand it. Does, does fear become your friend through this process, Kristen? Um, or, or I mean, like, like the, even personifying it would mean that we could eventually, you know, become friends or at least good acquaintances. Instead of somebody we always have to avoid.
6: Right. Right now we see fear as an enemy, right? And the reason why is because we've pushed it down. And so fear from the basement will show up in a kind of covert, crazy, wacky, irrational way. Like irrational fear is nothing more than fear just that's locked in the basement that's now screaming and acting crazy in order to get your attention. But. If you have a fear practice, if you're willing to take fear out of the basement and have an honest relationship, that's the word I like to use, an honest relationship with it, a healthy one, a considerate relationship with it, then only its wisdom will come out. And mm. next thing you know, you'll see fear as a thing that's here to make you strong, wise, see clearly, gives you a lot of energy, um, it motivates you. You know, you look beneath the relative reality of anyone you admire, you're going to find that fear is going to be a primary source of motivation for them, like fear of messing it up, right, will keep you sharp and focused. Aliveness is my favorite one. Like for me, emotional intelligence is our ability to uh, feel our emotions, not think about our emotions, which is very different. You know, emotions are meant to be felt, not thought about. So feel our emotions in an honest way and have them help us come alive. So that's for me what emotional intelligence is. Hmm.
3: That's beautiful, and then it's, um, and then you're, it's almost more like you're, you are connected. Your emotions can become an extension to you. There, it's, it's, it's like biofeedback. It's the feedback you're getting from your body.
6: Absolutely, and you know, there's so many people that are medicating their emotions away because they really think that fear, anger, sadness is not supposed to be part of our human experience. And they've been fighting this war with these emotions for so long it's not working and so ultimately they resort to medicating them away and it's really too bad because of course there's consequences of doing that Um, you know that you're kind of thwarting your aliveness and uh, you know you think that what all these methods and modalities too on helping us deal with our fear and anxiety that we'd all be feeling a lot better but we're just getting more and more pickled in anxiety every year yeah and the thing is, even methods like meditation or capping, you know, or uh, three deep breaths, you know, or putting fear out of our mind, like all of these things give us temporary relief, but it actually exacerbates the underlying cause. And so what I found during my ski career is I was really good at blocking out fear. You know, I was like world class, not just at the skiing, but I just like was so good at controlling my fear, blocking it out using all these methods but I learned that it's really bad advice because you can get away with it for about 10 years and then just things start to go south. It becomes harder and harder to do. And so that's why I became a fear specialist because by the end of my ski career, I had PTSD and PTSD is just a fear injury and that, you know, we've locked fear in the basement and it's now haunting us from the basement. I started having a lot of injuries because I had to become a really rigid person to not deal with my fear Mm. And what do we know about rigid trees and heavy wind? Well, they break. Yeah. I was also really burnt out. I started to dread winter because it was so exhausting to not deal with my fear. And so I quit my ski career and uh, set out to try and figure out what had gone wrong. And this is what I learned is that I was doing what we're all taught to do, you know, conquer, overcome fear. And it was ruining my life.
3: Is because I know you also do coaching, Kristen, and um, and and helping people, kind of guiding them through, you know, walk to, going down to the basement, unlocking the door, and and coaxing the fear up and out. Is is fear something that? Because um, I, but I also notice when you do the activities like with us on the, I mean, right here, it really is. It's something I have to do inside me. Um, so you can just, I guess, tell us how you go about coaching people to go through the process and then at what point is it just really about us continuing the practice?
6: Great question. So I do a lot of lectures, but my favorite thing to do is I facilitate people Mm. and I, I like to give them an embodied experience. So what I do is I broker a conversation between you and your fear. So I I don't actually give advice. I just take people on a journey into their unconscious mind to have that conversation with fear. Everybody is so different. Everybody is dealing with fear in a different way. It's showing up from the basement in, uh, different ways. You know, some people it's completely redirected as something that doesn't seem like fear at all. Um, and, uh, but we can do something here right now because that takes a, that's a process that takes some time. I actually work with people only for about six hours yeah. to get them to the other side of a fear-related problem. Um, but we don't have six hours. So let's do this instead. You ready? Yeah. Yeah. Close your eyes and find that sensation of discomfort in your body again. And notice this is a different moment if it's changed, if it's in the same place. For me, I still feel, feel it in my chest. I feel it a lot this morning because I'm so not a morning person.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: And it's like, you know, I'm a little goofy in the morning. But um, <laughs>
3: <so> <laughs> Well, you're, you're pulling it. it off really well.
6: Oh, thank you. I feel it in my chest. And tell me again where you feel it this time.
3: Uh, I feel it again, in, yeah, in the same place, in my chest.
6: All right. So spend 15 seconds now just acknowledging that it's perfectly normal and natural to feel this way. You know, Especially if you're doing big things with your life, you're going to feel this way. And then the second step is you want to get to know your patterns around that fear. Like, what is your relationship with that fear? And remember, I like to personify it. Like, how do you treat this employee, this child, this spouse of yours? Do you hate it? Do you wish it weren't so? Do you avoid it? Do you ignore it? Mm. Do you try to control it? Do you fight it? That's the big one, right? That makes you feel empowered, right? So the word that we're looking for is do you resist it in any way? And for me, fear is an uncomfortable feeling. And, you know, we humans have a long history of avoiding anything uncomfortable, but our resistance is the bigger issue. You know, if you feel a lot of anxiety in your life, fear is not the problem. It's your resistance to the fear that's causing that anxiety. So notice what your pattern is with it and do you resist it? And I have an equation, suffering equals discomfort times resistance. So how big is your discomfort, say, Matt, from a level 1 to 10. Like, for me, my discomfort today is about a 6.
3: Yeah, for me, it's, uh, let's see, it's it's probably a 5. Yeah, less, it's not as, it's it's a 5.
6: And what's your resistance to it? Like, you're, I don't want to feel this. I wish this weren't so. For me, it's about a 6 as well.
3: Mine's higher. Like, mine's an 8. I don't want to feel it.
6: All right, so times those two numbers together and that's your level of suffering.
3: So suffering is discomfort times
6: resistance.
3: Resistance.
6: So it's really, really hard to lower the discomfort. And like I said, it's temporary, and it just goes on underground. And it's a whole lot of effort. Hmm. A lot less effort is to work on your resistance. If you can lower your resistance to, let's say, a level two, yeah, then you know, do the equation. That's a whole lot of less suffering.
3: Man, that's great. So
6: that's Yeah, so that's level step two. You know, fear is natural, find it in your body, and then notice your level of resistance and just kind of wiggle that a little bit. And then the third step, and this is my favorite, and this is like we were talking about when you can't sleep at night, you turn towards it. Mm -hmm. You know, fear just wants to be felt. It doesn't want to be thought about. It doesn't want to be rationalized away. It wants to be felt. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to feel it. So just keep your eyes closed and spend 30 seconds and I'll be talking over this, just feeling it. And the thing is, you're, you're not thinking about feeling it or what that means. You're just feeling it. And so it's a thought-free action. And emotion is this sensation of discomfort in your body. And when we deal with an emotion intellectually, when we try to rationalize it away or understand it, we're not dealing with it emotionally, and that's going to cause some problems. So, again, my definition of emotional intelligence is our ability to feel our emotions in an honest way. And so that's what we're doing right now. And the key is you're doing this without trying to get rid of it. You're just spending 30 seconds feeling your fear, listening to that child, and that's it. Hmm. That's your fear practice.
3: And and you just – by feeling it, I guess you're you've, you're validating it and you're – I, I, you're probably turning off other parts of your body. It seems like uh, cause what it feels like to me is that I'm more accepting it.
6: Yeah. But accepting it is one. It's definitely a step in the right direction, but it's not really what we're going for. Like accepting your fear is like, Oh, I can't stand it. It is what it is. But yeah, no, yeah. do about it. I got to accept. Right. Like that's not what we're going for. What we're going for is we're honoring it.
1: Hmm. You know, yeah.
6: We're honoring it. That's, we're having this authentic, real, honest relationship with it. We're willing to listen to it. And maybe this is level, you know, the next step on is actually, can you feel the percolation of energy there? Hmm. Can you feel the aliveness that comes from fear? Fear is actually one of the most amazing experiences we get to have here on planet Earth. You know, if you think back on the times in your life when you felt most alive, surely you're going to find that fear is part of the experience.
3: Oh, absolutely. You know, what are some of the
6: times that you felt most alive?
3: Well, yeah, yeah, in, in my in my in my scariest growth driven moments of my life, these moments right. of you know becoming a professional at something or yeah, taking it to the next level, uh, Kristen, you know what? Love this stuff, and uh, we got to have you back again to 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 take a more advantage of this. This is such. Such an honor. I'm so grateful to have you. The name of the book, again, is The Art of Fear, Why Conquering Fear Won't Work and What to Do Instead. Go to her website, kristenolmer.com, kristenolmer.com, where you can learn more about having a fear practice, and you can also find out how to contact her if you want to, to actually work through a, a you know a fear-related issue. Um, powerful stuff. Wow. The power of just going inside and, and allowing things to be. We'll continue the journey straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, friends. You know, how powerful is that, this idea that um, what, what you're going for isn't necessarily even acceptance of fear. It's just a recognition that it's there to teach you something. And instead of shoving it away, pushing it away, knocking it away, you know, numbing it away, what if we simply just allowed it to be? Fear, right? Just allow it to be and allow it to teach you and allow yourself to sit in that fear for a bit. And if you do, amazing things will happen. Your body will actually allow you to just see it as a teacher, not uh, somebody or something that's there to hurt you. Anyway, great lessons for all of us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, uh, walking you through your fears. We are getting around to the holiday season, and you might be wondering what Santa's going to bring. One of our producers, Leanna Tan, is convinced some people may be getting nothing for Christmas. She and some other producers around here put together a tangent where they'll share uh, with us some of their experiences of pranking others and being pranked.
7: The other day I was watching as my poor, helpless old laptop struggled to start up, and I flashed back to a time when my dad tried to pull an innocent prank with my laptop once, And it took a wrong turn. Eh, Now I can look back on it and laugh, but it made me want to hear if anyone else had any fun prank stories. So I decided to ask my colleagues. Here is a little compilation of our prank history.
0: Alex and I were driving back from our date when we got pulled over, which was a problem for two reasons. First, not the best end to a date. Second, there was a warrant out for Alex's arrest because of some unresolved speeding tickets. It's taken care of now. The cop told us there were two options, pay immediately or be arrested. We frantically texted and called our friends Ellie and Scott, who didn't respond. Miraculously, the cop told us he was going to let Alex off as long as he promised to pay within the week. Since our friends still hadn't responded, we decided to roll with it. We didn't tell them Alex got off. We got to Ellie's house and Alex stayed outside. I got into my best method acting place and ran to the door in a panic saying the cop had taken Alex in and I'd had to drive back. The mayhem that ensued, running, oaths, cooling cash for bail, was only exacerbated by the fact that Alex texted saying his green card was on the line. He's a citizen of Iran. Eventually, Alex walked through the door and got soundly slapped in the face by Ellie. I think they always check their phones and respond to messages now. And I know I've never done a better acting job.
8: When I think of pranks, the only thing that comes to mind is my family. I mean, I've had some pretty great tramps myself, but my inspiration comes from the people that raised me. Well, they're not pranks per se. In our home, we call them punishments. Or in the words of my elders, no cry before I give you something to cry about. I can think of a time that my cousins got in trouble. I believe they were hitting each other and my uncle just couldn't take it anymore. Stop hitting me. So we kicked all of them out of the house he cut branches off the tree outside with the machete and made them all hold a branch high in the air above their heads on the street and told them, if you're going to act stupid, you can look stupid too. One of my favorite punishments happened when I was around 16 years old. I was helping my mom fold clothes and none of my siblings wanted to help. When my father came home, he heard my mom complaining and he yelled at all of them to go to your rooms. He then told them to take all the clothes out of their dressers and to throw them in the hall. Then he told them to close their doors and to take off their clothes and to throw them in the hall too. He then told him to go outside on the street naked. He said, if you can't fold clothes, then you can't wear any either. My mother and I laughed till we almost passed out. Honestly, we didn't know if he was joking or not. Although my father never made my siblings walk outside naked, they sure did learn their lesson. Anyway, pranks are a little overrated. But I have some pretty solid ideas on how I'm going to discipline my kids when I have some in the future.
9: My 17-year-old brother's name is Evan McMullen. Yes, the same name of the guy who ran for president in last year's election. Evan decided while the election was going on that he would change his profile picture on Instagram to instead be the presidential candidate's picture, along with a caption, A Republican and a Family Man. Once he had done this, he received hundreds of new followers and likes on his pictures. That is until people realize I had been pranked by a teenager. My mom didn't help matters by buying him a Evan McMullen for President t-shirt. This is only the first of many pranks from the one and only Evan McMullen. He has a long, long list of pranks with his friends, including the following. Yelling randomly and making weird noises in stores, throwing water balloons at cars, doorbell ditching, creating fake cardboard cats and putting them in the middle of roads, Dragging dummies behind cars. hiding in trash bags on Halloween to scare the trick-or-treaters. What he dubbed as coning, in which he gets an ice cream cone from McDonald's and smashes it in his own face. Yeah, don't ask me why on that one. And my personal favorite? Copying their favorite famous YouTuber, Casey Knightset, by pulling each other behind their cars on skis during a blizzard. And this is just a few of the pranks on the long and very accomplished list of my rascal little brother.
7: Well, glad to know I'm not the only one who's been a victim of pranking or of parental discipline gone wrong. Hopefully, that encouraged some of you that you're not alone, and perhaps dissuaded others of you from your mischievous ways. Well, happy pranking, you pranksters, and good luck to the rest of us. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent.
1: This
0: is the Matt Townsend Show. Your
1: guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
3: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, friends. Top of the morning to you. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang has gathered. And guess what? A lot of crazy stuff going on. Weird headlines. A coup in uh, Zimbabwe. If you even know much about the politics there, we've also got a, a boy, a major um, event averted in California, a shooting that got the gunman actually shot four people, went to a school uh, to, I guess, do major harm. Luckily, the school was on lockdown and probably saved a lot of lives there. The gunman was eventually killed. And uh, Roy Moore being dropped now by the, the Senate Republican Committee for funding, the National Committee, and uh, what do you do there? But now he's coming back saying this is just a, you know, a left-wing conspiracy trying to keep his Christian values out of the Senate. Is it possible he just made a mistake? What do you mean? Well, is it possible it's his fault? Nah, yeah. It, I mean, according to a lot of the media, a lot of the people, it was his fault. You hmm. shouldn't hang around with young. Now the reports are in the 80s. That it was a mall and a YMCA. He was banned from. Yeah, I, was, I saw that. But what do you do? I mean, he's going to keep going. Yep, Alabama. Well, I mean, it. it's like you—they've known the guy for 40 years. They're saying it's not. You know, for his his brand, for what he is
5: espousing in that that state, yeah, is that the establishment Republicans are not on your side. The Democrats obviously are not on your side. They're trying to take me down. I say I didn't do this. He's going to run because he has no reason not to because no. it's exactly what he has been talking about the whole time is that, look, they're trying to take – they're trying to stop
3: what we want this country to be. That's right. And uh, uh, the attorney the, – a female attorney that's representing one of the, the uh, women now that uh, alleged to have had Roy Moore attack her, hmm. Gloria – Oh, all all right. there you go. She's um, he's like she did the same thing to Donald Trump, right? In the election, she at the last minute tries to come in and tip him over, and ah, boy, boy, to have this all now tied up and blamed on Christian values really complicates. This is this is a mm. really good sign that this is politics as usual. Yeah,
4: it's sad that it happened allegedly at a YMCA too, because that's a place where you can make real your dreams.
3: Uh, I think you're
4: thinking of You can of get something. a good meal. Yeah, I think you're thinking. Can have a good time. Of a song, not the YMCA. I don't know. I've had lots of good times at the YMCA.
5: <laughs> That's according to people from a wide variety of occupations. Construction workers, <laughs> police officers. Yeah, yeah.
3: Native American. Right. It's a great testimonial. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, a great rhythm to the whole thing. Um, boy, crazy stuff going on. It really is. A, it's This is just one of those days where you think, really? Two things. Sean
5: Hannity gave uh, Roy Moore 24 hours to clean up the ex- his, his his comments on yeah. this because he said that doesn't quite fit. Oh,
3: good. So Hannity's on it.
5: Uh, Rush Limbaugh yesterday pointed out that when Roy Moore did all this, he was a Democrat. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> That's what he said. Okay. So, yeah, he was a Democrat at this time. No one's really pointing that out. So maybe he was brainwashed at the time?
1: <laughs>
5: that is... He said he could, if everyone knew about this and he was a Democrat and no one
3: did anything about this, this is the Democrats' fault. Hmm. Well, it seems to hmm. be the Republicans' fault now. Well, yeah. Now you've got a senator coming in that's probably going to win, I would assume. I mean, unless all of a sudden Alabama turns around. I don't that, know. Isn't he ahead in the polls?
5: The polls are really close depending on which ones you look at. And as we've known from previous elections and even from the election last week in Virginia, local polls... Not so accurate. Way
4: off. <laughs> Man, how many other messes that the Democrats have made do the Republicans have to come in and clean up? There you and, uh, go.
3: Boy, complicated. <laughs> I did not know he said that. Uh, but it's interesting. So Hannity's saying, clean this up. Yeah. He says the, the, the,
5: the statements he has made have not... Uh, like settled the issue. They no. haven't been, you know. Like you, you want to have a uh, you want to have a statement that kind of cleans it up. That says this is why this is not this no, isn't true. And that know, kind what of thing. He, but what he's did he already do? said yeah. he
3: didn't know the woman,
5: but right. he signed her yearbook. Well, and then uh, I think Hannity, Hannity was probably more talking about the interview he had with Roy Moore, where they, he asked him, "Have you had? Did you have relationships with these girls or are girls that young?" He was talking about just teenagers in yeah, general. Yeah, he said, yeah. "Generally, no." Right. Which isn't a no. It's like, well, not really. Hmm. Okay. And so vague comments like that have uh, apparently have not convinced Mr. Hannity at this
1: point.
4: Hmm. Well, because maybe if you've had like one or two or five relationships, that doesn't mean that you're, you routinely have relationships with young people. Were
3: they even relationships? Or were they just visits to the Y? <laughs> I don't know. That's the thing is that he's not going to give you more data. He can't clear it up because he's already said he didn't know the woman. Right. But others are saying, no, he was banned from malls and they knew that he had a reputation. And the reputation was when you see him, you walk the other way. Hannity also may be
5: feeling pressure of uh, advertisers pulling out.
3: That's a big deal. And
5: deciding to, well, maybe we will clean up my response to this whole thing with this.
3: That's why I love uh, Diddy Dental, one of our great sponsors, because Mm. they they don't pull out uh, no matter what dumb things we say.
4: No, they just install grills. That's
3: kind of their deal. Yeah, they're grill installers. So uh, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to this morning? As uh,
5: you mentioned, at least four people killed in a random shooting rampage in Northern California in Tehama County in On Tuesday, I believe is how you say it, this side of the Washington Post, the attack reportedly follows a domestic violence incident involving the suspected suspected shooter who was killed by police. The alleged shooter, armed with a semi-automatic rifle and two handguns, opened fire on at least seven sites. In the rural region, including an elementary school, a number of children were wounded, although none were reportedly killed. The gunman appeared to be randomly picking targets, according to NBC wow. Bay Area. Police say the shooter had an ongoing dispute with a woman who lived in his neighborhood. That woman who filed a restraining order against him earlier this year was one of the first to be killed in the rampage. So they, maybe that really. was the trigger,
3: and then he just decided to take off. So, I mean, Head down the road. It's interesting that... We're all one big network here, right? So one neighborly dispute leads to the shooting. A neighborly dispute with Rand Paul leads to being tackled. You are your neighbor's keeper.
5: In a weird way. And as you said, it could have been worse if the uh, school Uh, officials didn't lock the school down when they heard gunshots. We'd be doing another story. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions insisted Tuesday that he had been answering Congress's questions to the best of his ability during several congressional hearings. Sessions made the claim while appearing before the House Judiciary Committee last week. 17 House Democrats signed a letter written to Sessions that announced their intention to press the attorney general on a statement made during his january confirmation hearing when he claimed he was not aware of any contacts between russian officials and members of trump's campaign to that end session said in a forceful prepared remarks i will not accept and i reject accusations that i have ever lied that's a lie that he has ever lied so the accusation that he lied is a lie yeah one of the uh, Democratic House members asked and pointed out that uh, as they were questioning him he said I do not recall I do not remember I you know I he said that like think. like seven times <laughs> and he goes is that correct and he goes I'm not aware of the actual number so even then he didn't remember how many times he had said it in the meeting yeah. he was sitting in See, but that's like you're trapped
3: so you're you're kind of done when they're yeah. circling you but that's w- so what we're going to be talking about lying and is it a problem when elected officials lie because we've been lied to a lot lately right i mean, well, I mean not just president trump but president obama was known for it, the lie on his health care initiative and so it's almost it a, like nobody cares anymore because well, nobody believes them anyway
5: it's like in politics is it a lie or am i just telling you just the part of the truth i want you to know yeah it's a lot. We'll leave out the rest of that. You know, it's, it's that kind of feeling sometimes yeah. where you just you, you have yeah. your agenda. Mm-hmm. The whole truth doesn't match. So I'm just going to give you that one part. It's a lot feel to good. remember for you people. This, sure. meeting, this meeting that Jeff Sessions was basically in this uh, hearing for. I remember it. He was sitting next to the Papadopoulos guy who who he walked was. in and said, hey, I can do it. We can have this meeting with, yeah. with Vladimir Putin. And then Sessions said, no, we're not going to do that. Well, if Sessions admits that happened, then he lied the last time he was in front of Congress. Yeah. So he's saying, I don't know, this meeting was a while ago. And they have photos. He's sitting next to him.
3: Yeah. Whatever. It's uh, What are you going to do? Uh, Facts. It's So close to a lie, but wasn't a lie.
5: A new Quinnipiac, I never say that right, yeah. poll released Tuesday showed American voters disapprove of media coverage of President Trump by a 20-point margin. Mm. But also trust
3: the media to tell the truth about important issues. Okay, hold it. Wait, huh? Oh, huh? Hmm? we get, they they trust the media to tell the truth but they're pretty sure they're not he's not they're not telling it on Trump. Yeah.
5: Okay. So it says the poll showed 58% of those surveyed disapprove of the way the media covers Trump while 38% of those polled said they approve. 54% say they trust the media to tell the truth about important issues more than Trump, while 34% said
3: they they trusted the okay. president more. So okay. They okay. So it sounds like the people that Quinnipiac poll tested—they're yeah. uh, all confused. <laughs> Apparently, they don't know who to trust anymore. I was reading
5: that last night. What's going? On? Okay, yeah. Ran through it a few times. Like, okay. But I,
3: okay, so they don't trust necessarily Trump to tell the truth, but they—they yep. they trust the media a little bit more to tell the truth on important issues, but not on issues relating to Trump. Possibly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> Just keeping it clear. And finally, yes. Big
5: movie news. What? I know you don't roll your eyes. No, I just this did. is important Too late. for the future My done rolled. of cinema in this country. Okay, there's been a problem with Rotten Tomatoes, the website. Oh yeah, that gives you your ratings. I've never understood that. People the are. I mean, there you go. Okay. People are, are. People. When I say people, I mean you know directors, production houses, people that own these movies. They put them out, and then Rotten Tomatoes they they aggregate all the reviews, and they come back and say, ah, eh, it's thirty percent. No, but right. don't watch this, right. and so then people don't go watch the movie. Say like uh, the Baywatch that came out. This is one of the movies well, that yeah, they say. Well, no, about It just didn't look funny. Well, they're saying their movie could have performed better if Rotten Tomatoes didn't give it such a horrible right tomato meter.
4: Well, maybe if they made it rating.
5: better. Well, it's, it's the movie. Oh, yeah. sure.
3: blame the producers and directors and actors and writers. So the big movie this week is Justice League. Okay, right? this is one of your movies. Right, you can't save the world alone, Matt. No doubt there. That's their tagline. So, Even totally though a m-
5: couple of them have in their movies. Yeah, but so whatever. It's kind mm-hmm. of uh, Justice League reviews uh, will start coming out early Wednesday morning. The studio imposed an embargo that lifts at 2.50 a.m. Eastern, November 15th. So, today. Okay. But anyone who's wondering whether the film will be deemed fresh or rotten by Rotten Tomatoes will have to wait another day for the site to reveal its ratings, and that is... Rating some, raising some eyebrows. Oh,
3: interesting! So they're holding off. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes is saying not sure yet on the yeah. rating, the Co- percentage.
5: A couple of weeks ago, on October thirty first, Rotten Tomato announced the launch of a weekly show called Rotten Tomatoes See It Skip It, which is broadcast on no, Facebook. I that one, yeah, it's broadcast on Facebook via their watch platform. They have a little, yeah the tab you can click and watch live shows so they have their tv show the whole point of the tv show is to reveal the big score of the big movie for the week okay that tv show comes out thursday so they're gonna wait for that they're holding the score for their tv show so they can drive people to watch their
3: tv show okay Mm -hmm. it, it actually sounds like they're just paying homage to hollywood Sounds like D C maybe said, Okay,
4: it's probably not gonna be that
3: good. So just if you could hold it off as
4: long as possible. What is it what's it gonna cost us? (laughs) So the the, the whole point is the tomato
5: the the big you know thrust of the show is here is our tomato meter score reveal and Mm then that show comes out Thursday nights. So they're holding it for Thursday. It'll be uh, it'll air at twelve oh one AM on Thursday, November sixteenth.
3: Okay.
4: So we so have the, to stay up
5: until midnight? No, nah, you can watch know, it whenever you Nobody want. Stays the up choice to hold back Justice League score has some interesting ramifications. The link between the tomato meter score and box office returns varies by film. A high score may boost a smaller film's chance of success, for instance. Mm. But a show like Justice League has got kind of a built in audience. If it's bad, it's, people will still yeah. see it. If it's good, more people will see it. But either way, it's going to make uh, some, you know, whatever amount of money it's going to make. Is this the only movie they've done this on? Uh Yeah. So is this a new thing so going it's, forward? It's, it's a new thing, but the problem is right here. It's also worth noting that Warner Brothers, the studio behind Justice League, <laughs> holds a minority stake in Fandango, which owns Rotten Tomatoes.
3: It's Sorry, there was conspiracy.
4: a there was a dramatic pause before so, the. Dun, 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 you've heard yeah. of Fandango, yeah. It's where you go online and buy some tickets. <laughs> they purchase
8: Rotten
5: Tomatoes. So when you go buy these tickets on Fandango, next to your ticket purchase, it gives you the tomato meter oh, rating. Boy. So what they're saying is because people go there and they look at it, oh, it's only thirty percent. I'll go watch another movie. Mm-hmm. That drives ticket sales down. This is a conspiracy.
1: They're it's a huge conspiracy. Buyer good-
3: beware. If you're going to be Fandangoed, you're you're going to have issues with the tomatoes. Yeah.
5: But I mean, there you, you've uh, Jeff. You've done segments on. Have you talked about this kind of the, the effect and the complaints about the tomato meter? And, oh, sure. And yeah. we
4: also I, I spoke with my guest about name a movie that had a high critic score that you hated, and name a movie with a low critic score that you loved. Because there's often that uh, you know discrepancy between the critic score yeah. and the audience score. You know, is that common? So- Oh, yeah. It happens frequently. Give me a movie where the critics didn't like it, but the peeps did. Uh, King Arthur Legend of the Sword. Oh, yeah. I had like a that. really low... And I enjoyed it. I did, too. I love a good beheading.
1: <laughs> but
5: it's just... So, so that, that was there's, a good movie. There's this conspiracy in Hollywood that Rotten Tomatoes actually drives interest in your movie down. Right. 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 And so the one time they decide, we're going to hold back on releasing the score early, is when it's a movie... That has ownership connections with your parent company.
4: I think they should mm. flaunt. <laughs> I think they should flaunt the low Rotten Tomato score. If you're, if you know, if you're a DC film, they did it with Suicide Squad. It just got trashed on Rotten Tomatoes, right. and it just broke all sorts of records at the box office. Interesting. They well, should. They should put it out as a statement of, we don't care. We've already got your money. Do you think that this will? Uh, yeah, they have
5: had mine for a couple weeks. so You're right.
3: Yeah, <laughs> see, that's the problem with buying your tickets early. Why? I was going to watch the movie anyway. Yeah, but then you don't know what the tomatoes are—good, bad, or other. No, but it, it should. Really doesn't it matter. Should. It really should.
4: <laughs> you know, maybe you see that Rotten Tomato. Don't look at it as a Rotten Tomato. Just look at it as a fried green tomato. Mm. And some people really love those. That's true.
3: Yeah, some like that movie. Do you think? And Todd, the book. We're talking about it right now. Uh, this. Are people going to no longer trust Rotten Tomatoes?
5: I don't know. I mean, there's people that there's another site called Metacritic, mm-hmm. and there's different. Even though they're both kind of coming at it from the same approach, but they weigh things differently, and the what, however, they they come up with the score. Yeah, and so if you really want to get into the weeds on it, you can look at the math. Whoa. Why would you? Why would that? you want to do that? So I mean, there's this idea that they're 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 weighting it in a negative way to begin with. It seems right. Like. So I, I I take it as a word of caution. Don't take it as like this is uh, the exact representation of what this movie should be. Just it's mm. it's another opinion as you look at you when you try to figure all movie you go see
3: ten thousand opinions.
5: Well, so basically,
4: what would you say is a the lowest passing grade in school? The lowest passing grade? Uh fifty five percent. Fifty five percent. Right. Is it? So you take somebody that's given while, the film. Cool. Let's say <laughs> somebody is giving this a film a fifty five percent. And then you have somebody that's giving the film a ninety nine percent. Those two reviews show up as positive reviews. So you have somebody that like thinks barely or barely doesn't hate it. And then you have somebody that thinks it's the greatest ah. thing in the world. And it's basically the same score.
3: Yeah, yeah that's a that's a yeah, that's a bad deal. I don't like that. Hmm. Now they're just playing with the numbers. The
5: other side, you could just go see the movies you're interested in and not worry about other people's opinions. Just watch it and go, oh, I guess that was okay. Yeah, but you're but you're, you're if risking, it wasn't.
3: well, you're risking what? $100 because it's getting so expensive to go to movies and buy popcorn.
5: Well, they get somebody else to buy you a gift card, and then there's no money lost.
3: That's why I wait for you guys to go to the movies, and then I listen to what you say, and yeah. then I go choose a more interesting movie. See? There you go. Hmm. That's the idea. I want you to name one
4: movie that I've recommended to you that you've liked.
3: Anyway, up next, we're going to be talking uh, Wow, with Allison Mueller. Or is it Mueller? Mueller.
8: No, Mueller. I like that
3: movie you recommended the other day. Matchstick Men? Matchstick Men. I mean, I didn't know you could do so much with a bunch of matchsticks. thought it was fantastic. That was really a good movie. So there's one. Anyway, uh, fun times. We we are going to uh, be talking up next to um, Allison Mueller, who is a Ph.D. candidate, and her research was on elected officials that are lying. And is it a problem? Is it just part of the norm? Is it part of the status quo? Do people even care anymore? We're talking about political liars straight ahead on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, what do you do when you know that your children are lying to you? Hmm? Time to ground them? Time to, you know, take away their cell phone? Well, how about if a public, uh, a politician is out there lying to you? What do you do to hold them accountable? Do we do anything? Does anything work? Or do we now just expect our officials to lie? Because we see it in story after story after story. In fact, half of the news we reviewed this morning was uh, was about lying and questions of lying. So to help us kind of walk through this is a PhD candidate, Allison Mueller, from the University of Illinois at Chicago. And she has been uh, focusing her research on the dark side of morality, how and why people behave immorally in everyday life. And uh, today she's going to be talking about some of her research she's been doing. Allison, thank you for being with us.
10: Thank you for having me.
3: And good luck finishing your... Uh, Ph.D. That's it's fun once you get to candidate status, because you only have like a few more years of pain.
10: Exactly. I'm rounding the last leg of the journey. Oh,
3: isn't that <laughs> it's been a here? long one? I'm so happy for you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Talk to me, Allison, about this, because, again, in the news, we, we hear about it all the time. We from the and you brought it up in your articles or in articles that's been brought up um, along with your work. Uh, Trump and the scout jamboree saying that he was was thanked by the Boy Scout leaders that eventually came out basically to be a lie. Um, President Obama lied about we can keep our doctors. Now Jeff Sessions is being supposedly caught in a lie. What 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 is going on? And, and um, when you look at it just as a researcher, what what you could research anything around. Why did you choose to kind of get into this area of
10: research? Well, in general, we were curious about specifically why political figures lie, like um, the politicians we see on the news today. But actually, the reason why we were inspired to do this research is not really related to politicians in the news. Um, In 2014, actually, a famous monologue deliverer, Mike Daisy, went on National Public Radio and In front of the whole country claimed that Apple had horrible, unethical manufacturing practices in their factories in China. So, like, your iPhones and your Mm. iPods were manufactured really unethically. Um, And after that aired on This American Life, they found out that he had completely fabricated many of the shocking details. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, and they had a subsequent retraction episode, and Ira Glass, the host of This American Life, just point-blank asked Mike Daisy why he felt compelled to lie to the public, and Daisy said that he felt justified because it got people to care about a cause that he thought was morally important. Wow, Um, okay.
3: So using a lie to enroll people.
10: Yes, exactly. So uh, that was really the event that inspired us, not really the uh, the recent scandals in politics. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we started the research in 2014, way before the 2016 election.
3: Okay, so teach us, talk to us about how do you, I mean, so how do you research lying? How are you going about your study?
10: Um, so in our study, we had people evaluate public figures who lied. So, the participants themselves didn't do the lying. We were just looking to see whether they tolerated other people's lies. Hmm. And we had them read basically uh, what looked like almost like a radio transcript. So, um, for instance, on uh, National Public Radio, they always post online a transcript of the whole interview. So we essentially took like a uh, transcript and presented it to the participants and it was a very impassioned transcript about um, why we should fund Planned Parenthood and participants were told that it was aired over national public radio and it was very wide-reaching so like over hundred thousand people had downloaded the podcast um, and then we manipulated whether they learned that it was actually true or false according to several different fact-checking organizations. Um, So that's really how we manipulated lying in this study. Did the public figure over the radio station lie to serve that cause to get people to care about funding Planned Parenthood, or did they tell the truth and engage in honest advocacy?
3: Interesting. Um, What did did you find? What data came out?
10: (laughs) Um, So after we asked them how much they tolerated those lies and how acceptable they found them. Uh, we found that uh, regardless of whether the monologue was honest or dishonest, people who shared that moral conviction that it's right to fund Planned Parenthood, they were much more tolerant and found it much more acceptable to deliver the monologue compared to people who didn't see the issue in with moral fervor. Yeah. So we're
3: biased in yeah. our we're biased toward the lie if we believe in that cause.
10: Yes. Yeah. Especially if we see it as uh, a moral issue, an issue of right and wrong. So isn't that like amazing? We're... Yeah, that's, that's
3: great data because we we see that. I mean, a lot of people had, uh, you know, maybe moral issues with President Trump, but uh, he's a Republican. So we, right. you know, people would vote for him or. um that that is so so what does this mean i mean i guess it just means that our morality is movable it's a we adjust we adjust our scale depending on what's being presented
10: yeah so we're we're thinking that people's perceptions of like lying they see it especially when their moral convictions are on the line they see lying as like a norm that they could pr- potentially just break um so that 's how we're trying to look at it, like I think lying because it 's so common in everyday life uh people's perceptions of how right or wrong lying is kind of changes depending on what 's being lied about and whether right. it benefits their cause or not so um that's that's how we 're looking at it at least
3: do you do you sense um uh, for example, uh, where is it? Washington Post came out with an article, you know, a fact checker checker article that says President Trump has made sixteen hundred and twenty-eight false or misleading claims over two hundred and ninety-eight days. Um, so, do you sense maybe what it is is everyone's so frustrated with Trump's truth issues, but maybe what he's getting is he's onto this idea that if people just see lying not as a principle, an eternal rule um that it's maybe just more of a norm that can be adjusted maybe he's just playing the game with with your findings
10: yeah it it very well could be Um, and i don't think it's necessarily even restricted to um for instance like people like trump i think it it's also characteristic of kind of every election yeah so in the 2016 election for example um, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, their truth ratings, according to PolitiFact, like that check back, back checking organization, yeah. I think they had 30% of the claims they made were lies. So it's <laughs> not just the Trump problem. Yeah, it no. It seems like this is just very common in politics in general, on both sides of the political spectrum.
3: Unbelievable. And it's and, and honestly, I guess I guess we're I guess we're okay with it. I mean overall because yeah. it's just it's almost the standard is the same thing true um I mean cuz you you gave an example uh that maybe it, I guess it could be seen as a political issue but it's it's kind of um it, it's uh it's also a social issue so is this do you see the same data on social issues versus political issues
10: um do you what do you mean by social
3: well I mean I issues, guess like something issue? more just like Um, racism isn't necessarily a political issue, but it is a social issue. So, but if we have racist beliefs, are we more okay with people lying as long as it supports our racist belief? So is it Um, any belief?
10: Yeah, that brings up a great point. So um, the way that my lab at UIC defines morality is very fluid. So we essentially don't make any claims on what issues or whether they be social, like you're saying, or political, we don't define any given issue as morally relevant or not. We actually just ask participants, to what extent is this issue morally relevant to you personally? So because of that, one person or a group of people could potentially see racism with moral fervor that it's a matter of right and wrong. And for those people who see it as a moral issue, we might predict that they might be more tolerant for lies that serve that viewpoint compared to people who don't see it as a moral issue. Yeah, um, that's fascinating. So yeah, our, our approach is a lot more fluid than other researchers who tend to state claims about what's morally relevant or what's not. We let participants tell us what they think is morally relevant. And we actually see a lot of, variability and the issues that people attach moral significance to.
3: Hmm. So it seems like, and you tell me, is it more fluid then, is our morality, I guess, more fluid as a society as a whole and more rigid in our house, in my home? So uh, am I I, um, a stronger judge of morality and lying if it's in my home? Because we seem to have my standard allegedly or supposedly of morality versus, am I, and am I more loose outside of my home? Hmm.
10: Uh, I honestly am not sure. We, I'm not sure like how many opportunities people really get within their own homes to, to um, test it, like tra- transgress for yeah. a moral cause. Yeah. So, um, and also just. Uh, as a clarification, whatever people see, even though there is variability in what issues people moralize, once they do see an issue in moral conviction terms, they're very rigid about it. So there's, like, variability between, like, a whole population and what issues are moralized. But for the individual, their set of moral convictions are very rigid. They're willing to do whatever it takes to serve them, um, so, so once they've moved – yeah,
3: that's a good point. Once they've moved to a decision, a moral decision on an issue, then they get become fairly rigid on it.
10: Yeah, and they uh, – our lab's research suggests that people see their moral convictions as universally true, as self-evident, as 2 plus 2 equals 4, mm-hmm. um, and extremely motivational. So people are extremely motivated to serve moral causes that they see in those terms. Yeah. So, yeah, they're willing to, in this research lie, um, our other research suggests in our lab group that they're also more willing to uh, distance themselves from people who disagree with them, behaviorally discriminate against people who morally disagree with them. Um, So they're very motivated to serve those beliefs.
3: Interesting. Does it... It seems like, um, it, it does does this bring us satisfaction? Um, like, what's, what's the positive of it? Because it seems like what we're doing is we're always then in a battle or a fight uh, or looking for a way to, you know, discriminate or kick people out of the circle.
10: Yeah. Well, I think that's the positive, the plus side of moral convictions that admittedly, we're not really focusing on in this research is that people um, are motivated to be politically engaged for their beliefs. So that's a positive. People are voting more when they see an issue in moral terms or a candidate uh, with moral conviction. Um, So that's a positive.
3: I guess, Uh, I guess, except silver lighting, it it might be a silver lining unless they're completely in the in the wrong, or I mean, like, unless they're completely misled.
1: True.
3: Yeah. So, so now they're all morally and politically, or they're all politically engaged, voting like crazy, but they don't even have the data.
10: Yeah, that's that's the, the potential, potential outcome. Yeah. Oh, Allison, yeah. look luckily, what you look uncovered. I, <laughs> luckily, we are not uh, assigned the task of deciding right. Like normatively what's right or wrong. Right. That's a completely different animal. No, totally. Yeah. I, yeah, it's hard to make claims about what should be right and wrong right. versus just describing what people see as right and wrong.
3: No, that's it. I mean, I think it's just really important to, for all of us to look at our own uh compass and say, you know, we're willing we're willing to, you know, vote with a liar or follow a liar or be excited and active about a liar if their lies align with our beliefs.
10: Right. And it, it might be a good idea um, for people I think it's what we also found in our research is that if you disagree with that moral viewpoint, you, you hold the person accountable, so it might be tempting to always you know point the finger at the other side or the other political party and mm-hmm. claim that they lie all the time. but our research suggests that people on both sides
3: they're all doing it might
10: be yeah, they might succumb to this bias kind of thinking.
3: Does d- Is this different than it was 50 years ago?
10: That, that's a great question. Um, I don't have the data for that, even though... Uh, and I've only seen a handful of elections because I'm only 30 years old, so yeah. I can't tell you, like, way back. But just anecdotally, everybody seems to say that the time that we're living in now is just fake news everywhere um political lies, corruption a lot more than in the past and it might be I mean I haven't done the research but I would be very interested to mm. see over time how has this tendency changed in terms of like political lies in elections.
3: And yeah. Well I mean I guess one so. thing we are hearing a lot more about too uh, is more about fake news. And I guess we're finding more news that's that's just conjured up and fake. And yet it can apparently sway elections because we believe it.
1: Right.
3: Is there a way and I'm sure, I mean, this isn't the focus of your research, but what would you teach your children someday about how to kind of recognize the fluidity of your morality and (laughs) your willingness to believe stuff simply because it's aligned to what you want to believe? What would you teach them to to manage this better?
10: I think that it might be important to just be open to listening to what the other side is calling out about your own party. So, uh, is, and we know that this is very difficult to actually do in practice. So both liberals and conservatives hate hearing the other side's perspective. Right. Uh, and we know that from research, but, um, then again, the other side might be the only ones really holding you accountable. Um, So I don't know. Research needs to see how to actually undo this kind of effect because it it seems to be very sticky and hard to turn off Mm. and to get people to stop and think about what they're doing. But um, in terms of teaching like your children, I don't know. I think there's there's something to be said that the other side might hold you accountable and then maybe pay attention to it because people on your side and yourself are motivated to to just let it go and yeah no, the other side might hold you accountable.
3: It really is. It's great research, Allison Mueller. Thank you so much. Uh it, I mean really, that's it's a pretty amazing study. Um Allison's getting her PhD and will, will be done soon, I'm, I'm assuming. She's at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and uh, we appreciate the insight, how fluid our morality is. And is it possible that, you know, your, your politics are deeply guided by what you believe, not by the facts, not by the data? And we see it in almost every discussion. There's just a, an argument about what the facts are. But in reality, most of us may not even care. As long as it, you know, is aligned to what I want to happen or believe, I'll believe it. Even if I know it's a lie, I'll believe it. I'll, I'll somehow conjure it into not a lie but a unicorn gift. Who knows? Boy, straight ahead, we'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show. A little Coach's Corner up next.
4: Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner.
3: Lay ball. lay ball, friend. You know, um, we talk about lying. It's really easy to uh, beat up our politicians for it um, more and more. I mean, I really think what President Trump is doing is he's just shining a big, a really enormous spotlight on a problem we've always had, which is which our last guest just talked about. The idea of lying is it's very subjective, right? And we, we're going to find the lie that fits the belief system that we that we have. So it's easy to beat up the politicians. It's easy to be amazed by President Trump's numbers when it comes to, you know, to, what was it, 1600 lies in 300 day, less than 300 days. Um, not lies, but misstatements or mis, you know, unsubstantiated true or facts. Um, so but here's a bigger question, I think, that you might want to look at. How are you doing in the honesty department in your own life? How honest and true are you? And is honesty always the best policy? Um, I, I'd be careful. We I mean, I love the idea. I love the I, the thought of honesty is the best policy. One problem is um Sometimes, you know, if if your wife or your spouse says, hey, do I look fat in this outfit or these clothes? They may not be going for honesty. Sometimes they may be going for just reassurance, compassion, you know, love, um, positivity. So we can be honest, but you can also, you know, might be missing the deeper point. But when it comes to each and every one of us in our lives, how honest are we really? Uh, some of the things that we lie for and lie about, uh, we have a lot of great justification, right? So sometimes we'll lie to spare our partner's feelings. We lie to make ourselves look good or feel good. Uh, we lie to show that we're better than we are. We lie to keep the peace sometimes. Um, but in the end, what all of those might be is are just facts that you, you're lying because you don't know any other way to do it. So you may not want to default to the lie, not just because you're going to get caught, not because it's just immoral and unethical, Because, but it might also be that you lie because you don't have the tool set. You don't have a broad enough set of skills to be able to find another way to handle this situation. Uh, some of the things that we lie about in our relationships, our past past relationships, we lie about how, we, how and when we spend our money. We lie about indiscretions and sins that are going on in our relationships, weaknesses or imperfections. We lie a lot of times when our egos are threatened, when, this, when our identity is now up in question. I've had clients that hadn't had a job for six months, pretended to go to work every day, and then their spouse found out that they were lying. I had a, a client once that was playing video games at a university for about a year. <laughs> doing really well in the video game world, but never went to class, but was still running up charges and, um, you know, lied for a year about attending school. And it's, think about it, how devastating that is to our trust, to our relationships. But uh, most importantly, I guess, think about you. We can get mad at all the candidates in the world. We can get mad at politicians and Washington. But are you being honest in your, in your life? Are you being honest emotionally? Are you are you real with your feelings? Do you share your feelings when you're down and you're bummed and you're frustrated? And your spouse says, "What's wrong?" And you're like, "Nothing, I'm fine." Do you go play that game, or do you know how to share your emotions with others? Uh, are you are you honest about your history, your past? Um, remember, you're probably less likely to get over your past, move on from your past. Take your past into a new future if you're not going to be more honest with yourself. Are you honest about your present day reality? You know, there's a million situations out there that, that can be going on in your business life, in your social life, in your spiritual life. And if you're not honest, then you're just you're just not ever going to deal with or get out of the problem. And are you honest about your future? Do you ever lie about your future life? Yeah, you know, someday we're going to retire and we'll be able to go get a house in Tahiti. Well, maybe not if you're not putting any money away in your in your four hundred one k. Maybe retirement's just a big lie. So if we could maybe align to some more uh, what they call radical honesty, it, it might be a little healthier for all of us. And again, be more honest about your own political views. It sometimes it's hard if if a candidate is lying and is not representing your values, it may not matter at all if they're in the GOP or they're in the Democratic Party. Right. So quit lying that it matters which party they're in, um, because if they're lying, they're lying. And uh, it's too easy to say, well, I'll just vote for them because we really need to get a Democrat in there or we need to really get a Republican in there. Instead, it might be really powerful if all of us stand up and start demanding a little more character from our elected officials and maybe more importantly, from ourselves. Just a little thought from Dr. Matt. We will continue the journey straight ahead. More news to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happier life. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, as we gather, you know Terry and Jeff and I, we sit in a tiny little room, pretty much three hours straight, looking at each other. It's not that tiny. We we cell block two. We call this it. This is a little bit bigger than my childhood bedroom. Really? Yeah. It is. It's a nice size room. If you're if we had beds in here, I had a I had a large bed, so yeah.
4: He was that. just saying it seems small, maybe because of the company involved, yeah, in the equation.
3: Uh huh. Yeah. Well. Wow. Anywho, um, so we always come up with really interesting research and ideas, and Terry has been uh, d- digging really deep. If you had access to a kitchen that would make anything you possibly could want, oh wow, yeah, like say it'd be Italian or Greek. That's President sure. Trump does, yeah. He well, could eat anything he wants because yeah. the White House will make him anything. What would you ask them to make you? Lasagna. Okay. The, Every day, twice
4: a day. Just the greatest lasagna possible. Mm hmm.
5: No
3: vegetable. Lasagna. I would say, I, ooh,
4: you know what? I would just say a homemade, well, you can't homemade it, but a roast. Okay. Roast and potatoes, carrots, uh, celery. That would be like a really good Sunday Gravy, dinner. dip it in some sourdough uh-huh. bread. Uh-huh. So a
5: um, profile of a former Trump bodyguard reveals that the president is also a huge McDonald's fan. Oh, yeah. And to a point where he asked the White House chefs to recreate the quarter pounder <laughs> and the <laughs> apple pie. Big fan of both. Really? Yeah. So what he's going for is he just wants someone to run to McDonald's. So as this article from uh, Eater.com suggests, this McNugget of information (laughs) was tucked into a political piece on Keith Schiller, Trump's former bodyguard, who was director of Oval Office Operations until September. So they're trying to get info on this bodyguard and what it was like to be the bodyguard of Trump. He's been with him for years. He's his personal confidant, all that kind of stuff. But it ran into the McDonald's theme. Not only do we learn that Trumps prefers burger is a quarter pounder with cheese, but also he enjoys the rather youthful preference of extra ketchup, no pickles. turns out the White House kitchen was asked to replicate both the burger and apple pie, uh, but they couldn't match it to the satisfaction of the McDonald's origins, perhaps because White House chefs work at higher graded ingredients than McDonald's does. They were fired. I don't know if they were fired, but, they, fu- but they failed. So those failures met Schiller, the bodyguard, who was a relatively senior White House figure, director of Oval Office Operations, was dispatched to a McDonald's to pick up the meal for Trump.
3: Wow. I mean, you've can have, you got the best chefs in the country, and yeah. uh, you're sending your guy out to McDonald's. And I mean, s- I get it. You get that hankering. You need that sugar or that salt fix.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm plenty of sugar in there too so it
3: says that also
5: the profile also showed that the bodyguard uh, at as least in 2016 presidential campaign but also head to mcdonald's near Laguardia to pick up an egg mcmuffin oh, yeah. in the breakfast hours
3: and two quarter pounders and a large fry later in the day oh that's it maybe he just needs to branch out a little bit more maybe try a burger king a little taco bell up next uh, we'll continue the journey folks this is the matt townsend show helping you be the good in the world